Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, October 26, 2022. Today on the Ether, part one of a two part Chepe space everything cosmos, Luna, Lunk, everything. Let's take a listen. Hey, Tower, what's up? Oh, I just got a haircut. Jumped in the car. What are you up to? Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> it feels good after haircut. Uh, nothing, just was kind of trying to follow the the sort of musings of the Luna Classic community a little bit and see what they're thinking of. Well, what happened in the last half an hour? I, uh, I missed it because I went, well, last hour maybe because I had to go and get a haircut. I was, I was tuning in very deeply. <laughs> uh, you didn't really miss anything. I think what it is is, um, you know, the, the lesson is, is that when you have teams working in crypto, there is going to be something some team does that pisses you off right whether it's it, it really doesn't matter what they do like they'll event they'll eventually be something that upsets somebody and then everyone gets upset about it but then again they're sort of hostage because they don't have an alternative right so if you don't have another team to build what you want like what are you going to do just replace them i don't know where are those people going to come from i'm starting to get like frustrated and like nervous <laughs> about the whole situation i don't like the rebels there. We're moving forward, and the community community is doing something, but just this bickering and just shit in between. It's like, well, some, remember, like some of this, some of this bullshit is just like Twitter nonsense. Like, you know, a group of a few hundred people or a thousand people that, um, you know, think they represent all of the world, which you know, probably like a fraction of a percentage of the actual total quote unquote community is actually hanging out on these things. So. You know, the the real reach and the, the it, it seems like a big deal when you listen to it all. But at the end of the day, like, you know, people are going to do what about these things? LARP on the Internet? You know, the reality is, is like, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, so there's so many things like um, that people suddenly expect, you know, they what it is, is you know, what, it, what happens is, is so people take their real world experience, right? Their experience. Um, like as consumers in store, like their experience with like, let's say something bad happens with their credit card, their experience with like, um, you know, voting for a guy and them not listening or whatever, whatever real world experience people have in traditional finance and traditional government and traditional like consumerism. And they bring it to blockchain and they essentially just want centralization. It's what they really want. So when you when you look at what people ask for, like, wait, we need auditors to audit everything that JG here does in the NFT space. We need to make sure he's not going to rug pull us. Um, like, take take uh, um, their project, 
the, the skeleton punks and whatever to begin with, right? Like they had an actual rug pull in their thing, right? At one point, mm. they had a member, right? That that kind of fucked them over, or or like someone in the team that fucked them over essentially. And um, you know, like it's it's a well known problem. I'm gonna mute your mic uh, tower because you're you're getting a lot of like noise through there um but like you know what did they do they're like all right well we have to decide are we going to move on are we going to like find our own um like way are we going to find our own way to develop are we going to find our way to create more nfts and replace whoever fucked us over and like replace our treasury right you got like maybe jg maybe you could like clarify like what that was like for your yeah. community, just so that like people understand how difficult it is to trust people within the blockchain space and you know you trust know, each you know other what I to say is that uh it was super traumatizing but at the same time if a community can overcome it it was super unifying right because we all had a common goal we all found this person we were all really determined not to be taken advantage of and so it was very difficult we still have trouble uh, a little bit because this person's in Sweden. And um, I want to make sure like, now that we're not destitute and we have a, a good game plan, I, I want to actually uh, recoup what was stolen. I, I take it very personally when someone steals from uh, decentralized communities. Um, that is like one of the most cowardly things you could do. If you do it, do it to my face. Tell me who you are. Right. I, that's how I feel. Um, but the struggle behind it, the struggle. I mean, uh, the last five months, um, we've worked for free. Uh, six of us have worked for free. Um, it's been it's been really hard, but you know, I think that this has probably been the most rewarding five months of my life too. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a weird coin for me, right? So one side it was like, you know, May 8th was probably one of the hardest, hardest days of uh, my financial life. I wasn't expecting that. But then on June 17th, uh, I was uh, blessed with an emergency builders grant for NFT switch. So it's like, I don't, it was a really strange situation for me uh, and for our team. Um, we are just humbled to be able to still be here uh we think that this is the future that's that's all there is to it you know <laughs> yeah but you see but you see what i'm talking about like with the the luna classic community and their sort of gripes about whatever terror rebels or whoever's doing like oh, yeah. when i'm when i'm watching what they're complaining about i'm like that is not even fucking close to how bad things get when it comes to theft and rug pulls like let's say for example the terror rebels who now are kind of uh in control for lack of a better word of the code base uh and the github or whatever the fuck right like at the end of the day uh like if they decide well we want to create a smart contract and just initiate it and siphon funds like if they wanted to scam everybody they could just steal a bunch of money i mean i don't know what else to say about it like it's that simple um and i don't think people realize how easy it is to do that if uh you're a crypto team. And when people say, well, do your own research and all this other fucking nonsense, the reality is like, JG, were you able to do your research to prevent what's his name from like stealing money from your project? No. no, no. no. Right. And, and he seemed like no. a nice guy, right? I'm yeah, sure no, he's, he's oh, listen, he's still, he's still active Twitter personality. It's the craziest thing. He, he runs around with a Kuji tag on his name now. You know what I mean? Like it's the most bizarre situation. Yeah, like what do you? It's like what are you going to do about it, kind of a thing. And I think with DeFi, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, um, I, that's what I say. Like, decentralized finance equals decentralized culpability, and therefore, like your bags, as far as how much you invest, unfortunately, needs to take into account all of those risk factors. 
um, centralization risks and theft and everything else. And um, it can happen to anybody. Like it could, it really can. And it's, I also find it funny how like a failed project like uh, TFL's Terra Luna, for example, you know, people will call them scammers from top to bottom, but then like actual scammers, right? <laughs> like they don't do anything about them, which is really fascinating. Like the bridge hacks and all that. I don't know how many of them have actually been caught, but like a lot of the bridge hacks, people stole a shit ton of money. I don't know if some of those are probably North Korea actually just judging by the technical prowess involved. But the thing is like, what are you going to do? You're going to go into North Korea and get your fucking money back. You're not getting anything back, right? Like that's how this works. And a lot of these networks are quite sophisticated, right? Like there is nothing preventing, I don't know, take like, so now like look Luna Classic, it pumped to like one to $2 billion blockchain. There is literally nothing preventing a person who's on the paycheck of a adversary to show up, you know, write in some code in there, like act like they want to be part of like terror rebels and kind of like dig, you know, like a little mole or whatever and figure out how to steal money in that system, right? There's nothing preventing these things. So it's weird, like decentralization is, is interesting, but decentralized teams, you know, like there's no definitive culpability in most of those situations. And I think when you have teams that are doxed, you know, for the most part, like that helps somewhat, but at the same time, what are you gonna do if let's say, for example, so that's a, Oh, this was one of the problems with Terra, for that matter. Like, you know, uh, Do Kwan decides to go for a walk or go to the bar and drink something. What if someone puts a gun to his head and says, do this or that, or we're going to do something to your family? Well, guess what? Like, now your blockchain is basically going to get screwed because people can take an individual hostage or, you know, cause chaos, right? There's nothing preventing any of these things. And it's like this idea that somehow you're going to have a decentralized system with these teams and everyone voting on chain or whatever. And you're somehow going to prevent crimes and shit from happening. Like, I don't know. It's just not going to happen. Like, I, I think there's just no good way. There's a reason why traditional institutions exist. It's because all of this shit is normal. Human beings like, uh, are incredibly bad, right? Like, I forget the name of the group. Um, there's a NFT group, which is the one that Karma's involved with. What's that called? The Galactic, the, not Galactic, Galactic Oh, no, 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 the mean, other uh, project, Illiquid Labs, Illiquid Labs. Yeah, so Illiquid Labs. Um, yeah. You know, did you heard about what happened with them, right? Yes, with Mario and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and 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 clarify if I'm making an error here, but my understanding, and I don't know the nuance, but the, my understanding is is that um, using sort of their knowledge of the blockchain and about NFTs, they were able to sort of like. Um, uh, take advantage of the system because they were able to execute contracts on chain that are technically legal. There's nothing like illegal about it. There's, but it's like ethically super dubious. So instead of yeah. saying to the community, Hey, by the way, we noticed this, like, uh, you know, like there's a way to sort of, you know, like get cheaper NFTs or whatever the fuck. I don't even know what the exact problem was. Honestly, I don't care. Point is like, what I'm saying is that they didn't do anything. The individual in that group didn't do anything illegal, uh, ethically highly dubious, obviously. And if you're an NFT project and you're doing ethically dubious shit, you're going to make the project look bad. Correct? Like, <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. And so then it's like, well, now are projects going to like, are they going to trust um, 
you know, and use this platform when there's a person in the background who has really, really questionable ethics. Maybe they won't, right? I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but yeah, but like, I, that... I'm going to say probably that you have a very good point, you know? It's just, but, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it's like, was there anything you could have done to prevent that? No, it was the community's job to recognize a exploit well, in the system, listen, right? Luart, Luart should have uh, canceled out those contracts. When they shut their front doors, Luart should have closed out their inventory and not held anybody's items hostage. They could, they had it in them to release them. And if, you know, that was what created the situation. And then we had the, uh, an individual who did, like you said, when the front end of, a con of the internet was closed and the normal customer couldn't extract their NFTs, they were able from knowledge to be able to interact directly with the contract and, and, and execute. And like you said, nothing's illegal about that, right? The sale was still pending. It was still a valid sale, but it's just like, uh, you know, you're a, you're a leader in the community. You can't, you can't be the one doing that if you're building like this. You can't do yeah, that. I yeah, I remember when that happened. Um, it was unfortunate because like the average user doesn't know how to go interact with a smart contract to cancel it or whatever the case may be. And obviously they listed it. I would argue the same thing happened when Terra DPEG, right? Like I had NFTs listed for, you know, between 50 and 100 Luna. And as when the crash happened, like, fuck, that thing that used to be like, you know, a thousand bucks ended up being like $10. So people went in as it crashed overnight, and just like bought up all these NFTs that, you know, weren't the that way but where i see it is there was some anonymous actor that did it we'd probably be like man that sucks like you know what i mean like you know luart did us dirty and it happened but the fact that it was from a respected like i, I held the galactic punk and their team to like this different kind of standard because they were always kind of you know arbiters of you know integrity in the space and then they had this guy working for them that you know used this dubiously to arbitrage between old Terra and new Terra by buying that's, it. That's the thing, Shrew. Like, if you think about decentralized teams, let's say you, me, and JG decide to get together and do who the fuck knows what. Like, you don't know me for sure. You don't know JG for sure. And I don't know you for sure exactly, like, what your ethical standards are, what your history is. You have, like, some kind of, uh, you know, fucking criminal background or whatever. You know, how much, like, checking do you think there really is in crypto? Like, the reality is, is that, like, when you join up in a decentralized way with a bunch of people, hell, I don't know, half the people in this room might be fucking criminals. I don't know. <laughs> you know like, so the problem is, is there's no way to really be sure um, that you're not in. And especially when there's all these like ethical gray areas, like, well, you shouldn't do that, but it's technically not illegal. And like you said, if you didn't know who it was, like, and why would the guy use a wallet that identifies himself as part of a team? Like, like, what kind of idiotic uh, individual would, like, use a wallet that's already public to make these exchanges? So, you have to be I, a moron, I, too. Look, I would like to just set the record straight. Like, I, we're, you know, we're pretty close with that team. We, we talked about it because uh, we had a similar situation where somebody tried to claim a bunch of RSPs through uh, the Luar contract. And so when that happened, I reached out and I just want to see if it was privately, if it was the same situation. And so... Uh, Jack went through all of everything with me, like everything. Like he showed, he presented everything. I have everything in a private chat and he, he presented all the wallets. And he was like, no, that's definitely not this uh, situation from us. So we still need to look into that. We ended up finding out who that person was also. Another shady character, right? Another community member. Not not upstanding one, obviously, in, in a front light. But, but so what did happen is that, you know, 
after the crash happened, uh, Mario thought that, you know how some, so many people left crypto, right? It was five months and he just didn't, he made a bad call. And so at the same time, we found out who it was. They made reparations. I believe Jack and Karma and the rest of the team had absolutely nothing to do with this. Um, you know, they've really like sworn up and down. They're like, man, we didn't know. And I'm like, I mean, I believe you. You guys have done so many other things. Uh, I'm going to, you know, we need to be able to give people a chance to redeem themselves as well. Like, I don't want to just pass uh, him out or that project out. They've done way too much for our community. Their, their NFT project like set the standard for like what NFT projects were on Luna and what they still strive to be. So we're talking about know, Luart here. Yeah, well, no, Luar is a complete piece of shit. I'm not going to lie. Those cousins, they, they are shady as fuck. They, they, they ripped off the back end. Those people are a, an absolute boil on my ass. You know what I mean? Like, I cannot get, don't get me, I got confused for a second. I thought we were still talking about the one, the one other situation. Like, and for or, me, you know. Or whichever, yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I just want to say that people make mistakes and if they own them, it's how they own them and how they clean them. That, that's what matters to me. Like, that's the important part, you know. Yeah, although to make it right. yeah. although the thing is, like, when you have, like, a group of four or five people and, you know, you don't really know as a community, even if you catch one of them doing something, you don't really know, like, who else is necessarily involved. Is it, like, a conspiracy of people to fuck people over? Is it, like, this was just one person? Like, who the hell is going to do, like, what are you, a PI or some shit? You're going to go do some investigation? I mean, the reality is, is that, like, uh, anyone who is sufficiently smart enough to build cool stuff with programming is smart enough to trick you into like not noticing their crimes. That's just the unfortunate like reality. Like I don't know. Like between the white hats and the back black hats, like I think it's just a matter of like whatever ethics that person was born with. And there's a lot of gray area in the in in this too, right? Like there's the things that, like for example. A perfect example is just simply crypto people on Twitter. So, for example, like if I have a bunch of followers, right, um, I get messages left, right, and center about, hey, can you help me with this? Or can you do that? Or do whatever, right? And I'm like, hmm, do I really want to get involved with this? Like, I'll, I'll have uh, some people message me and say, oh, I would like to do a Twitter spaces with you about blah, 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 whatever, right? I don't know them from Adam, right? Like, I have no fucking clue who they are. So like, you know, and I've done uh, uh, stuff for like Galactic Mining Club here, for example, I've done things with you guys, with JG, with your group and other people, right? But like, as far as I can tell, I just have to hope everybody is good actors. And, you know, like, is it possible that people could, I don't know, bring whatever the fuck reputation I think I have down? That's a risk I take every time I associate myself with anything, right? It just is. Uh, like, even if I post something like, hey, I bought this NFT, you know, then people are like, well, like, why are you shilling this thing? How many bags do you have Did you buy the floor? Did you like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I just bought a couple of fucking NFTs. <laughs> like, what do you like? Like, don't like, what are you looking at here? Like, why are you? Why are you uh, like, do you want me to support the NFT community or not? Or do you want me to just stay quiet or what? <laughs> You're like, I'm just sharing my NFTs like every other community member. What are you talking right, about? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the part that like kind of bugs me. It's like when someone like, fucking kim kardashian post something on instagram of like look at me drinking this fucking sparkly water or whatever everyone's like oh my god let me go out and buy it and no one says anything but in crypto like you know our homie steffi who's been out here you know educating people for you know i've been listening to him for 
hell almost you know nine months now or whatever uh like he buys an nft just to like be supportive of like the overall ecosystem and it's like why are you showing this bro and it's like dude like are, are you not allowed to participate no, no granted over? i don't take any of that shit seriously i just i'm just yeah, joking no, but it's, it, just it, it's just the it's just the nature of how people think though like but at the yeah. same time like okay could you be sure that i didn't go with another wallet somewhere and buy like i don't know three dozen of that nft and you know like maybe raked it in using my like alt on some whitelist and now i'm like pumping the thing because i have a lot of twitter followers you can't prove i didn't do that right i could be shilling you wouldn't even know it how the fuck would you know you think if i'm gonna do it you're gonna know oh fuck no (laughs) like so like if i'm gonna dump on you like i'm gonna be able to dump on you it's as simple as that like i don't know what else to say like this idea that somehow you're gonna be able to detect who is actually the shiller and who isn't like it's it's just not rational i i I think either you're going to take people for what they are and like you know you're going to move with an optimistic mindset but then take it all with a grain of salt or you're going to get in there and like really uh like some people are though are are just by personality or super paranoid which is fine and like they will look at everything everyone else does as being totally negative and then other people get into that sort of like cult mentality and everything someone that does they think is positive there's no balanced viewpoint um like so i don't know like and you're never going to protect everybody from uh each other and you're never going to protect and everybody from some like you know every like the thought police or whatever you know, you could have a thought police and you still aren't going to fix this problem right you're not going to like how how are you going to temper who posts what and when and why and like understand their motives and all that you're just not it's just like it's a weird sort of like um i don't know like mental immaturity to think that you're going to be able to sort that all out like and even in the like like even really really good teams have had um like for example uh, uh karma super trustworthy i've like worked with her on this like terra council thing and she kind of goes through and makes all these fucking spreadsheets and tries to make sure that she's doing as good a job for the community as possible, trying to make sure that projects are delivering something before sending them a bunch of money and trying to like, you know, trying to like do the best as possible for the community, by the way, for no pay, like hours and hours of work. Like she doesn't gain anything except maybe like community trust, if that's worth something. And, um, and then she has someone in the background that she happened to work with, with that illiquity team or whatever you call it. And like that sort of, (laughs) that sort of drags her rep down, so to speak. And then it makes, it makes honest people not want to play or get involved if like their reputation can get dragged down. So this is the reason why, like, if you ask me like, why is Shroot or JG or myself or whoever, why we would be anonymous in this space, that would be the reason. So on the one hand, you have like your Frex character who like did his thing and like stole from the skeleton punks community. Um, and he may be doxxed, he might not be, but if he's in Sweden and you don't know how to get after him, who gives a shit? But at the end of the day, it's like many people are not going to want to have their reputation in real life dragged by, down by something that they're doing in the crypto space, like especially if they have something to lose, right? Like let's say you have company, you have a profession in real life, who in, the, who in their fucking right mind is going to put like, <laughs> like dox themselves? Um, in order to do like crypto related stuff at any level of scale, it's almost stupid. Like we were in the Terra Classic space earlier today and one gentleman's like, oh yeah, I'm going to make sure that everything that's done in the background is audited by whoever. 
And if something happens, I'll make sure people go to jail. It's like, like, first off, like, like, what kind of LARPing is this? How easy is it to get like authorities to listen to you in some country that you're not even in? What the fuck? Like, get out of here. Like, that's just not going to happen. What are you going to go call Interpol? They can't even find dough. You think they're going to find your fucking like little NFT scammer friend? I don't think that's going to happen. So that's the first thing. The second thing is like, why would like talented people want to work in a doxed manner if they feel like the community has the opportunity when they feel like to like report them to the authorities if something goes wrong? Because remember, when you have a one to two billion dollar blockchain and something goes wrong, right? You're going to have tons of people on the internet claim that you've stolen from them. Right? I don't care what happens. Like, you know how many people are like claiming that Do Kwan, you know, stole their money? Like, get out of here. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to go and like chase him down and, hey, Doe, give me my money back. Or maybe uh, if he gets captured by the authorities, you're going to be made whole again. UST is going to go back to a dollar. What the fuck? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you really think that you're going to get like justice. You're going to make your money back. You're not going to get shit back. Right. Like, <laughs> like the whole idea that somehow like you're going to get talented people to help you as developers and stuff. If you're going to sort of tear them down, um, that's not going to work really well. Um, so I don't know, like, uh, would you, JG, like, so would you be okay if someone just started on Twitter claiming that, well, JG is here to rug pull the community and they start spreading rumors about you or something, right? No. And maybe don't even have any evidence, right? They just start kind of creating a campaign for some reason because they don't like you. Um, and you're the lead developer or lead, like whatever it is for some project. Um, like, is that going to help? If you FUD the project where there isn't actually FUD, right? So here's that's the problem. And the public has a really, really hard time figuring out what real FUD is and what the fake FUD is, right? But I it's feel like really this tough. is a problem that we're dealing with in like just general life right now. It's not even like a crypto project. Like this is like what's happening every single day in, in, in everything. Every, yeah, that's everything, true. right? You know, that's so true. Yeah. how do we combat it? The only thing I can do to combat it is to, to realign the focus of what's happening. I'm not going to argue the points. I'm just going to say that's not relevant. What's relevant is this. That's not relevant. What's relevant is this. It's a re it's like a refocusing because uh, there is this, uh, you know, this trend where if somebody's doing something wrong, they just blame you for the same thing. And then it's like then you, you're on the defensive. Well, don't go on the defensive. Don't even answer to it. Just refocus the attention of what the real issue is. And for us, the real issue is decentralized economy, decentralized money. How do we move it forward? Let's open up DeFi and let's get rocking again. That's for, that, that's how that's what it is for me, right? Dude, that's what it, I had to leave that space earlier because all of those little bitches in that lunk chat, like screaming at the dev, it's just like, dude, they're doing this for free. Like, do they not understand the value? I mean, most of those people weren't a part of the crash, so maybe they don't understand, but. Do they not understand how valuable it is to have IBC re-enabled and like all the work that they're like doing to get that done pro fucking bono? Now, granted, I'm sure they got some bags packed or whatever, but like the fact that like people are freaking out that that, yeah, here they are. They've proven themselves like six months later. They've done a lot of really free, like good work on the chain and like, yeah, fucking ask for some money like and they should get it because who else? Like, I think you made the point in there. Who the fuck else in the chat is going to step up and go figure out how to code to get, you know, IBC transfers going back to osmosis? Probably none of those fucking people. Most of those people that are probably complaining probably have like less than $500 worth of lunk anyway, which is also a, a, like another point. And it's like these people have like the loudest voices because, you know, maybe they have like 
you know, whatever, 10,000 Twitter followers or whatever. So they get their, you know, goonies to go into these spaces and like harass these devs that are like, you know, working for free. It just drove me crazy. I literally had to leave. It was just, there are, well, there's, also, brain cells there's also the complaining of like, well, the, the lead people are blocking people or muting them and all this stuff. And it's like, have you ever been in a really, really busy Discord or Telegram? It's like 98% nonsense. It's useless, useless noise. Like your voice isn't being heard anyway. It's like screaming into the wind or like just go into a closet and yell or something. Nobody's paying attention to that shit, right? So it's like, like I think the thing is like a lot of these developers too, like uh, I think Vegas and Tobias, whatever, they're not really used to having uh, large Twitter accounts and followings either, right? So that's, there's an element of that as well. I think part of the thing is that a lot of the new energy that came in, they are coming in with token speculation and they, they didn't experience what the magic of Luna was before the crash and like the whole value capture systems, because that was in essence what, like, I, I don't want to look. So Luna was a separate thing for a while and now it needs to be more integrated. So I don't like speaking about it as a separate thing, but they, because there was like a, a little bit of an elitist thing now that I look back on how that all planned out. But they don't understand. We have to re-educate them. Like they have all this liquidity in the game, and now we we have to take this moment and make it a teaching moment, and either find a way to bridge these communities, or I, I gotta say that I think Loon C will die if it if we don't find a way to integrate. Uh, I don't think that it's going to maintain the interest because builders won't be there, right? That's at the end of the day, if they don't build, it's not gonna go. Well, it hasn't been even hasn't been really fully clarified like what the purpose of the chain is so you know it, it's like if it was it i don't know like it it's so that vision has to be like elucidated to people like what is the point um like because clearly 99 percent of people that get into crypto are for number go up right like because otherwise there's so many different chains you could buy like parts of right you could buy like there's like you could buy some bitcoin or you could buy ethereum or polygon or whatever the hell it is um but you know a vast majority of people aren't either in it for the tech or whatever it is and maybe the most vocal most hardcore like community type people are in it in spaces and whatever but this idea that somehow like the binance luna classic crowd somehow cares about what happens in twitter spaces like you, like if you think that's going to affect the price action in any meaningful way like i don't know i doubt it like it just no there's no good reason. It's like it popped largely because some mixture of Bruce, like myself and a bunch of Reddit pumpers that just simply like started talking about it. Next thing you know, it became viral and boom, pump, right? And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, the community. And if you'll notice carefully too, it's like there's a very strong focus of people in Turkey and India in particular. And I don't know why, but it became viral in those two areas in particular um, <laughs> because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that. It's a strange thing. Like I think somehow or another, like um, maybe within some subreddits or some like sub communities, this sort of spread and it kind of blew up and then everyone suddenly showed up and it's like, wait, we bought this coin. And it's like, what is it supposed to do again? Wait, what is this community? And what's the point? And what is Terra Rebels? And I don't know what else. So I don't even know, like we're hanging out in this space and we have no idea what's going on, right? You think the general public like really has a, like, come on, get out of here. Like I, I haven't heard a cohesive argument yet, not from Terra Rebels or anybody as far as like what the point is. So it's that, that needs to still be made clear to me. Yeah, I, I just, 
Hey, oh, nice to meet you. So yeah, for me, who's pretty new to Lunk uh, community, so I missed out on Luna. So I did follow it, but I just couldn't afford it. So when Lunk came up, it was like, uh, okay, we get a second chance. That was great. But for me, the community is, is its biggest pro and its biggest con because of things like the last chat that, that we were in where you know people are just sort of ripping strips off each other which is just not attractive to listen to at all and it's not why i joined the spaces i want to learn i want to understand but sugar i, I would clarify that practically every DeFi community goes through these shenanigans like it's not unique yeah, no, I have that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, if you walk into like the atom 2.0 governance uh you know you know convention or whatever the fuck you want to call it you have the people i don't know who else is in here that that's following that but um so this was the people that are interested in creating adam 2.0 and like arguing about it and then like jay kwan which is one founder of cosmos and his followers have one viewpoint and then a bunch of other people um have another viewpoint like zaki and ethan and stuff and then you have this kind of like debate as to what is next and ultimately it's you know what only matters it only matters that you secure someone to actually do the coding, you actually have funding to accomplish that. You post this as a proposal that people are willing to like gamble the community funds on and or, or mint community funds as the case may be in this case, <laughs> diluting the Atom token. And ultimately there's a trust that comes into, yes, this will be executed by somebody that's credible. And um, you know, you can like people can debate until they're blue in the face, but uh, you know, you need to have those steps and then, you know, something good can happen now. Like, but at the same time, all of the arguments are actually accurate. Like Jay's points are true. Like uh, Zaki's points are true. Like um, what's uh, uh, Sunny Agarwal with Osmosis, his points are accurate. They all make great points. So the only problem is that even if you have like multiple people making a lot of good points, that doesn't necessarily lead to a final cohesive vision of what needs to be built. Um, so it, there is a kind of um, final proposal that needs to take place. And then the you, the community or whatever can decide if you want to vote on it. And um, if it has enough votes to pass, wonderful. You know, then hopefully someone will build it for you. And, like, and hopefully that building goes successfully without any flaws or hacks or any other problems, right? So there's no guarantees in this life when it comes to teams of people who have to make something. Um, this is no different too, by the way, if you own stock in, I don't know, look at Google right now. So three successive quarters of earnings expectations misses. So it looks like their phase of growth is essentially like, at least for the time being, looks like it's curtailed or over. So what's happening to Google stock? All of the extra value of Google's price is cratering because it's priced as a growth stock and if the market gets the hint that the growth is over, well, guess what? The price to earnings multiple doesn't make sense anymore. And um, so its stock price is falling. It's falling quite a bit. And it can fall a lot more than it is now. And there's people in disbelief that that can happen because they haven't been through, like, I don't know, the dot-com bubble or whatever the fuck. Like, they're, they're, these things can drop a lot. Things that were blue chips even, like big, big companies that are massive blue chips can drop a lot in price. This is not just a crypto thing. So anyway, when you buy Google stock, my point is like you trust, you hope that the company and the people that are running it can bring value back to you, the shareholder. And um, but there's no guarantee that that will happen. And it's no it's no different there as it is in crypto. And um, you, like I think and for many people, like, I don't know, for some reason, this concept of governance um, 
it's almost like if if any any of you have ever been in like a, a homeowners association, like if you're living in a neighborhood which maybe has like a hundred houses and the community has like a little association to make sure that the lawns are maintained trim and people are, you know, not dumping trash in their front yard. Their, their, I don't know, their garden is properly maintained and there's proper number of trees and they're being watered or whatever. If you've never even done that before, like you don't understand like how contentious, like how much people argue. I had a guy call me yesterday in our neighborhood. He's like, Hey, our golf course over here, this, this, Cause we live on a, like a golf course type of place. And this guy's like, um, he's, he's, this is a radiologist calling me. He's, he lives in this particular neighborhood. He's like, like, uh, can you call the mayor of the city? Can you call so, so, and so, and so, because this golf course is cutting down a whole bunch of these old trees that they're really beautiful and they make the neighborhood look nice. And they say that they want to cut them down because the golfers are getting pissed off that the roots are damaging the, like they can't play because there's too many roots in the fucking way. Right. So like it's the it's the the argument as well is the success of the golf course and its business important or is the beautification of the neighborhood more important? And the actual place is a business that runs a golf course. And by the way, they actually are the ones that planted those trees in the first place. Right. It's on their property. So I'm looking at this situation going, OK, I see how you can be pissed that they're cutting down these massive trees that make our area look nice. On the other hand, I'm like, wait, but like, what if the golf course closes because maybe they don't have enough business or maybe the golfers are getting pissed or something or whatever, right? Who knows? We don't run the business. We have no idea. And I'm um, like, I don't, I don't know what to tell them. I'm like, well, maybe get together your homeowner association or whoever, see if there's something you can do about it. But at the end of the day, like it's private property and they want to cut down some trees and they're the ones that planted them in the first place. Well, I mean... Like, I don't think the mayor's office can do anything about this sort of thing. So it's just like outrage. And um, this is the kind of thing that happens in governance and also in just communities in general. And um, some of the stupidest shit, right? Like there's two sides of the equation. And like this idea that somehow everyone's going to come together and come to a resolution that everyone likes. Like if they don't cut the trees down, then you have one group of people that doesn't like it. And if you cut the trees down, you have another group of people that doesn't like it. So I, hey, there's Jeffrey, Jeffrey, yeah. there's a, I see uh, Ray down in the group and he's uh, with Y Foundry and their whole thing is about DAOs and governance. And this dude's low key like an expert. Yeah, sure. He wants to come up here. Yeah, I don't know if he, yeah, he has time. Um, Ray, you, you busy? <laughs> yeah, but the, pur the purpose of governance is not perfect outcomes. The goal of governance is to make most people feel free most of the time right that's that's it you no law and no sort of regulation no anything will make everyone happy all of the time right that's a fantasy we already know that not only that but like even if you didn't like something right how much energy are you going to put forth to go solve it like jg for example you mentioned that your your uh nft project that you're part of one of the founders or whatever stole a bunch of money and ran off right so how much effort are you going to put forth to try to find this guy? It's one thing to say, well, I'm going to go look for him or maybe try to hold him accountable. But the reality is, is that that takes a lot of work on someone's part, right? That costs time and money to actually execute because you've got to, you know, maybe you have to have a lawsuit, which might cost a lawyer. You might have to make certain trips of some kind. Who's going to pay for that? Are you going to volunteer your time for it, like a little vigilante or something? Or are you going to like get donations or crowdfunding to support your time? 
So even regulation and then not only regulation, but enforcement takes time and effort. And the reality is, is that in the crypto space, almost nobody's willing to put that forth unless like they have massive bags that they can recover somehow. Right. Um, it, it's like, like I was watching this with the Voyager um, digital collapse. Um, so as a person who owned share, share like substantial stock in the company and who had like different assets on there, I was watching the different arguments people were making. Retail customers who had like, I don't know, less than $10,000 on the platform or whatever, when the thing went bankrupt, the reality is that those people don't have the resources, nor should they spend the time to recover that amount of money through some kind of weird personal lawsuits of their own. It just doesn't make any sense. So they end up, these things end up becoming, in the United States at least, class action lawsuits. And class action lawsuits, the problem is the lawyers take like a huge chunk of the money. So like at the end of the day, you know, like you just want as much money back as possible, as quickly as possible. And I think FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to buy out a significant portion of those assets come December if everything goes through. And I'm like, well, if I can get 70% of my value back and I can do it within a few more months, well, fuck it. I don't really want to worry about this thing. Like, but some people are really, really utopian. Like, okay, this company needs to be brought back to like full whatever. And my, my token in the company, like I had VGX token, I had the stock, I need to have these come back to make me whole again. And they're not thinking realistically, like who the hell is going to like make that happen? Who's going to go and fix all that shit? You know, are the, you know, uh, you know, is it salvageable even? Right. And then they'll sort of like, there'll be subgroups of people on the internet, like, well, you know, FTX is just swooping in and they're the bad guy and they're buying these assets for cheap and da 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 da. Like, uh, you know, there's like no version of the outcome that is going to make everyone happy. Some people just want their money back quick and they're like, fuck it. All right, fine. If FTX wants to buy at least my assets, like they want to buy this and like at least return 70% of my money to me, well, great. I'm happy. And other people are like, well, no, we, we were in this for the dream. We want the Voyager company to be like strong again. We want it to go through proper chapter 11 bankruptcy and bring them back. And we want our token to be worth something, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, like one of those outcomes is going to be true and, you know, not, you know, and you can cross your fingers and hope, but unless you're willing to go and fight for it yourself, a lot of people that don't have like enough money on that platform, for example, they're not going to go and like, like, you know, they're not even going to go read all the court documents. Who has time for that shit in all seriousness? Like, it's easier to go get a job at McDonald's and get your money back than it is to like go mess around with that shit for the next one year. Right. So it, it's like, so no matter like what you think, like in crypto, like regulatory stuff and enforcement in particular are very expensive, both in time and money. And, um, like the whole point of like creating crypto space, crypto uh, related economies is that you want to create like um, code bases that can run without people or teams and create some kind of immutable system and then be done with it. Like you don't want to have all these teams having to do shit in the background 24 seven and like you then policing them and whatever. Um, so I, I think the entire concept of crypto related governance is highly questionable. It's almost to me like, well, a system should be put in place. And if it's imperfect, it dies. And if it does well, well, then people use it. But like all this governance stuff in between seems like quasi bullshit to me. Like I'm not impressed with um, like crypto governance and how all that shit works. The more I participate in it, the more stupid it seems to me. <laughs> like Anyway, Ray, go ahead. That You can kind of do the counter to that probably since you're 
involved with DAOs and everything else. Go ahead. No, I'm I'm, I'm totally going to agree with you. I'm just I got a couple of minutes. I'm I'm walking to a, an appointment, but I, I thought I'd listen in. I completely agree with you that the purpose, like you're saying, of crypto governance really should be codifying stuff into contracts, which essentially establish guardrails of behavior. And then you work within those frameworks, but you, you're exactly right. And you have to remove like the human interaction with it and just be like, no, this is, this is the limitation. This is what you can do. And this is what's not possible. And that's the framework that you get to work in. But Ray, don't you get the sense that like what people actually want is just TradFi? Like a lot of the, a lot of community members that aren't used to crypto, right? You rarely hear discussion about, wait, how can we accomplish this in a permanent decentralized way versus, okay, wait, how do I set up a team? How am I going to regulate them? How am I going to audit them? Like, how am I going to punish them when they do something bad? These are all the language of TradFi, right? Like there's nothing, there's nothing DeFi about any of that. Well, and I think that's okay in the sense that you have, if you have the TradFi rules, if you want to call them TradFi, right? Because they're an established set of rules and you take the pieces that work out of that system and you codify them into contracts, I think the benefit of the smart contract, whatever you want to call it, DeFi thing, is that it's transparent and that it isn't like a human being behind a desk or at an OTC going, I'll give you a deal and I won't give you this other person a deal. Right. So if we can put that into code and you can see it on chain, that's what I think is going to is going to, you know, add some credence to the Alameda SBF behavior is that we can see the behavior they've done on chain. But, you know, a lot of crypto teams though, you can't really see what they're doing behind the scenes. Not exactly. Like having been on like a governance council and some of these things like, I don't know, I consider myself reasonably ethical and. Um, uh, you know, like judicious and whatever. And um, even sometimes I find myself going, wait a minute, should I really authorize this money? Have I really investigated these people enough? Am I sure they're going to actually release these funds? I'm kind of going based on their past history of delivery. I'm sort of using their prior reputation to some extent. Like, so there are projects that we had to deliver emergency funds to. And I'm like, well, at least these projects have shown credible delivery in the past. You tend to use like, these sub, somewhat subjective historic measures, uh, you're almost looking at resumes and things, but you're not necessarily um, 100% sure these groups that you're handing out money totally. to deliver, right? Like you, you know some of them are going to take the money and run, and almost certainly that will happen, right? I, I think it's like we could look at it in another vein and say it's like AI art, right? There's like a part of the AI art, that there's a part of art that you can quantify, like a style or a type. And then there's the part that's creative that you can't necessarily quantify and that becomes subjective. But I think the idea with DeFi is that, you know, you take the pieces you can actually quantify, right? And you, you put those in a framework of rules in contracts and then the parts you can't, you're stuck being subjective with them. But the objective should be to distill those subjective pieces down to the actual rationale that you're making those decisions on and then codify it. Yeah, like, well, like what kind of things for people, like just for education purposes, like what, like as a DAO, like what kind of things would you like to see? Uh, like what kind of capabilities would you like to see or tools to allow your DAO to become more um, capable and, you know, not, you know, where, where decisions by the community actually result in a 
like an on-chain action or something like that? Like, are, are there some specific things you feel are lacking that need to be built or whatever? Yeah, so we're we're kind of working through those in building more of a meritocratic system where your voting power isn't based on the number of tokens you have, but it's actually based on the quantifiable value that you've provided to the community. And the people that decide the value of your actions are the community itself. So essentially using bounties, right? Or objectives the community wants to complete and says, well, this has X amount of value to us. And so people who complete those value, you know, items for the community have more pull or, you know, have a reputation that they build within the community rather than, oh, I bought, you know, a ton of tokens and now I'm going to vote the way I want to vote. So it's like an on-chain resume sort of. Exactly. Because I think that's where we're moving is getting rid of tokens and going to reputation. Yeah, like this is this is very common in the medical industry, um, at least in the United States. Like what we have is like there's medical boards. And if you have like, let's say, a lot of lawsuits against you, there is a registry that like, um, you know, will we'll show those lawsuits and everything. If you have um, like, let's say, serious like complaints uh, of, that patients have made to a medical board that can be made public if if they're found to be credible or legitimate. And then you have to have the board actually go and investigate that thing and see how, you know, how egregious the actual thing was that you did or whatever. Um, so, yeah, there's like, but that actually requires a fair amount of, um, yeah, like what can be done actually like uh, all on chain, so to speak. Um, the reality is, though, the problem is, is that with reputation, like, like Ray, like, let's say I said something really, really bad about you. Now you have to come defend yourself, right? The problem with decentralization also is it's easy to make up false claims about somebody. It's really hard to defense, defend against false claims, whatever those might be. Um, so let's say, for example, you say, well, I want something built. Um, and the software would have to be able to identify, like either by AI or something else, that you actually built what you said. If you leave it up to the community to decide, like let's say, for example, NFT project, right? Um, an artist comes and says, okay, I'm going to create this project. What if he creates something, but the community thinks the art is shit, right? Like, like how does that play into the reputation? Are we going to do like an Amazon star system where like you have a rating and the community decides, and then like, there's a whole a bunch of ways to actually manipulate those ratings as well. As you guys know, if you've used Amazon, um, eventually like the game gets to be where um, these reputation systems tend to be game to some extent or the other right like it it's it's um yeah it's an interesting problem i i don't know that there's a a clean solution i'll give you a great example of this like if you go onto google right um you can basically uh write a uh like you can do a star review on practically any business and you can pull up their business page you can do a review on them like a doctor or something but let's say you know you had an infection in your foot and you decided you're going to give, leave a bad review for your podiatrist because your infection didn't get better. First of all, like maybe that infection wasn't possible to get better with your little diabetic foot or whatever. Maybe like maybe the doctor did all they could and still you're upset. So you give them a one star review. Um, so the problem is, is like for doctors, is a great example. Almost nobody shows up to do a review when they like something because who the hell goes under reviews and like, you know, does all that shit. So you'll tend to have like some types of industries 
where things are really, really negative reviews, and it gives you a false impression about like the quality of that person or that uh, organization or whatever. Um, there's a lot of different like things, like credit payment agencies, for example, always have like one or two, one one star reviews. You're like, wait, what credit payment processor should I use for my business? You go look them up, and they're all one star reviews because the only people that write reviews are people that fucking hate them for some reason. So then you have a whole other industry that emerges, right? You have an industry that will help you with your online presence. And now like there's like these companies that'll go and write like, I don't know, they'll go to all your social profiles and go write a bunch of reviews over a period of time and game the system. Uh, Cause they have a lot of separate like email accounts, whatever, hundreds of them, right? And they'll go in there and like write fake reviews and all that shit. Like I just got a refund back from Amazon from a company that apparently, so my wife wanted some sort of like skin cream or some shit some expensive thing and someone created a fake one and then Amazon um, and they had like five stars and all the other whatever shenanigans. And I get the, the, so even the review system didn't work. And Amazon said, wait, this is fake. And they, they refunded our money and sent back the money and like got rid of them. And they took the hit for any kind of like um, losses and such. And Amazon just sort of did it for you. But, but like even in a decentralized manner, even with a centralized manner, like it's very hard to get rid of all of the nonsense in the system. Like the noise is really, really loud as far as like signal to noise ratio. And it really is tough to get rid of all the bad actors. Like uh, there's no system that I've seen as perfect in this regard, um, central or decentralized, but yeah, sure. Go ahead. But I mean, that's part of the problem with it being decentralized, right? So if you piss off, you know, Ray or something like that, right. And, or say something evil and mean, what's to stop you from just not showing up with another wallet or you know what i mean like it's hard to i mean unless you're you're talking about like kycing to like you know to enter into your specific you know maybe a DAO yeah, it's or like a, a social civil like attack or something yeah so i mean what's to, from really stopping anyone from from doing that like yeah well people do it on twitter all the time right with alt accounts and everything like that's a common thing people do been doing that stuff for a long time video game they do it in video games they do it in social media in general like a lot of people have their like main account that they might do business on or maybe talk to um you know whoever and then they have their shit posting alt account to do who that knows yeah why. that that just brought me back like i don't know the first thought that came to my mind was i and i know you've talked about it before i i was a big wow player and i don't dude those wow the wow forums for your server back in the day used to be freaking outstanding but you'd always have like these little the level one posters versus like you know the level 60 posters and you'll, you you'd always everyone would always be trying to figure out who's whose alt account it was that's you know posting all these like all this you know guild drama or whatever the case may be but no one knew because you know they're just some level one that's like you know still hanging out in freaking you know iron forge or some shit like that <laughs> Yeah, like those types of um, social attacks are common in video games going way back, right? It's not new to the internet at all. Like it predates Twitter and all of that for sure. Like some of, some of the biggest like um, guild drama uh, and all of that used to happen. Uh, like, yeah, late 90s, really as soon as MMOs uh, like came about, right? This is the reason why, by the way, in multiplayer online games, like I didn't bother to ever go the PvP route because the whole thing is just stupid. Um, the only the only fun was ever like truly at the end of the day was the player versus environment sort of games where you cooperate and you as a group somehow like win as a group. But even then, do you remember how much drama would be in different guilds in terms of like leadership and who didn't get what and 
like who didn't get what items and whatever the fuck, like this idea that like, just because you have a community, like even a relatively small one, like a gaming guild, which might be just like a hundred members or something, the amount of drama and chaos in that is remarkable. Yeah. Like I don't even know how some kind of like, you know, a crypto community functions exactly. Yeah. It would range from like, who got this loot or you gave it to her because she's a girl or why am I not in this, you know, this particular boss fight when it has something I really need, but my class really sucks for this boss. So we're trying to kill it. And you sat me like it was, it was just like a never ending. Like, yeah, the, the loot wars. You know what our solution to that was? Because um, <laughs> our solution was, but here's the thing. We like in, in EQ, we were the top guild in the game, like on the whole planet, right? Like everyone knew who we were. And the funny thing is, like, um, it was essentially a dictatorship. It was like, um, this person was just going to tell you whatever the fuck you got. And if you didn't like it, just get the fuck out. That's how it was in the end. Because nobody wanted to deal with this democracy drama in that context, right? Nobody had the time for it. Who the fuck's going to create a governance council and some loot council and whatever the gay stuff that came, people came up with, right? Like, we're just trying to play video games. No one wants to get on here and play government. It's just lame, right? So like, it, it, like that stuff deteriorated quick. The thing is, like, here's the thing: like, if you're at the top of the game and you always have someone wanting to join your guild, it wasn't a big deal, right? It, as long as like, no matter what you said and what you did, like, you are so good that everyone wanted to join you. Like, technically, people thought about that. They're like, wait a minute, if I'm just being a dick, they're gonna get just kick me out, right? Like, <laughs> so you had FOMO. eventually, you made FOMO in your guild. <laughs> you guys had FOMO, yeah. So, but you would, yeah, exactly. You had FOMO for the guild and people were asking me every five minutes, can we join your guild? Like, what does it take? Like, you know, I know a guy and like, you know, what you just, cause you play with me six minutes, you're in. Like, you know? So there would be this whole like politics about trying to get in. It's almost like getting into a fraternity, remember? But if you were at the top, you could be more draconian in terms of your efforts. If you were a mid tier type of guild, you didn't have that type of clout. So what would happen? Like, the community or the guild would just break down because if you're not winning all the time, then what happens is, is people lose confidence and then the fights really begin, right? Everyone starts like clawing at each other. Oh, you didn't give me this. You didn't give me that. Because if everyone believes that if they stuck around long enough, they're all going to make it like the true wag me moment or whatever, like then everyone tends to forgive each other for their like little flaws because everyone sees the big picture and they're like, all right, let's push this thing through. Let's win, right? But you can see when the stress came out, like everyone clawing at each other and getting upset and stuff. And even the like highest guilds in the game, like, you know, had their politics and drama, like where eventually like one of the top guild people who did a lot of work or whatever felt like their work was not being appreciated or something. Hey, by the way, yeah, yeah like you passed me up for that shield after seven dragons or whatever the fuck, right? Or whatever. And um, you would have these situations where like uh, infighting would break out and so, um, and then what do you do? Like, do you stop playing? Did you need that person really badly? Um, are you going to like cater to their whim next time or what? And usually what would happen is the leadership would you know, secretly talk to them and say, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot you. Blah, blah, blah. Let me like, we'll hook you up next time or something like that. They try not to make it too public because if the leadership is basically fighting amongst the group, then everyone's like, wait, you know, like, are these people going to break up? You know, and then that people start eyeing other guilds or whatever, right? So it it doesn't take long for the thing to fall apart. So at least in that context, like so decentralization in that example would be okay. Nobody is keeping you in that particular guild, 
No one's keeping on that particular blockchain. If you don't like those people and how they do it, you had all of the reasons. Like you could just go and make your own guild, right? It was totally free. But the reality was a lot of people were too lazy to make their own guild. They just wanted to whine about like their contributions yeah. or lack thereof. Because the it was a lot of fucking work, man. Like it's I, a lot of like, work. Yeah. Yeah. It was a ton of work. Like, and then you're managing like all these personalities and managing everyone's feelings and everyone's schedule and you know, uh, you know, getting consumables made and to provide for, you know, your group and whatnot. Like it was, it was almost like a full-time, it was a job. job. Yeah. It was a job. Yeah. 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 So yeah, winning in that context was a lot of fun in the sense that like when you're doing things as a group with lots of people and you achieve something, there's nothing more amazing than that. There's more, nothing more intoxicating than like winning as a team. Right. On the other hand, there's nothing more brutal than like putting your heart and soul into it and the whole thing fucks up. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's, that's really, really um, uh, uh, super frustrating as well. So yeah, it's actually, there's more situations in business and entrepreneurship or whatever that things are going to go downhill as opposed to the ones that are really successful. So the ones that are successful are held up as examples and everything else, but like you... Um, like it, it, I'm sure if people have been in like projects that have failed or companies that have failed or whatever, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun, but yeah. Sugar, were you saying something? Sorry. No, no, no I wasn't. And I'm going to have to go to sleep. It's really late for me. <laughs> no, no, get, get to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Enjoy your good day, your evening. Bye-bye. Yeah. Have a good day. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, what other kind of game stories did you have, Shrew, back then? Uh, yeah, I mean, I what else? What else comes to mind is just like the feeling you were talking about. Like, you know, like when your guild's starting to like fucking fall apart, and like that's when like it just it's almost it was it reminds me of like the Luna Death Spiral. Like, there's just nothing you can do to do it. Like, you get the revolving door of recruits. You get people, you know, being late and not showing up, and it's just like. I mean, at some point you, you pass that point of no return where you're like, well, this shit is just not going to, not going to turn around. And yeah. You know, you know, like one example of that, one example is that was when, uh, world of Warcraft came out. Um, so the lead, um, guild master in our guild was being courted by world of Warcraft. Sort of, he was looking at becoming a, uh, like creative lead at the actual game and actually became that. So, uh, interestingly, like those of us who are playing and it's almost like having bags in crypto, right? Like you're, 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 you've got these bags, you want them to go up and imagine if it was like, let's say it was the height of Ethereum's bull market and Vitalik says, you know what? I'm out of here. Right. Like, you know, or, or something, or the core team of Ethereum decides, you know what? We quit something like that. Right. Or the hints are that, well, maybe they're moving on to another project. This was sort of what it was like for us. It was like, wait, this new game is coming out. These guys want to, some of the guys want to go play the beta. This the guild leader who is like a big part of the glue of why the guild worked really well um, now wants to go do something else. He wants to go work for World of Warcraft and play to, instead of play video games with us, right? Like that's literally like how it played out. And after that, it was like things fell apart because the people that wanted to stay in the existing game and don't want to learn a whole new game, they just like to log in and kick ass, right? Because they already have the pattern down. Those people would slowly leave. Like that would be myself in that example. I didn't really want to go and like start a new game and all that shit. And so, yeah, it sort of falls apart. And 
it's just the norm for them, those type of things to fall apart. But you can tell when it's about to happen. I would agree with you. It was really like, huh, uh, maybe I should be planning something here. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to eBay my character. <laughs> and like, while the going's good, like, you know, make my $7,000 or whatever. And in and, and like 99, 2000, that was a good chunk of money for a video game character. I know in NFT terms, it's like nothing now, but like, that was a good chunk of money back then. I literally had the world record in, at, at that moment in, on eBay. <laughs> and then like, I don't remember how many months later, but they eventually closed that down. eBay shut down like video game uh, account sales and all that shit. But like, I literally rage quit by selling my shit <laughs> because I was like, wait, if I don't sell my shit or if I don't get rid of it or delete my account, I'm going to go play again. And I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. I need to get my um, profession like, you know, ironed out and, you know, whatever. I, I sort of did it for multiple reasons, but you could see the writing on the wall that the guild was going to fall apart. And uh, it, it seemed like a good enough time to, to exit. Hey, Jimmy, what's up, man? Do you have any gaming stories, Jimmy? What do you mean gaming stories? I don't know, between gaming companies that you work with or like MMOs you've played or other chaos? <laughs> no, I helped build the first games uh, like Chuck Yeager, SimCity. Oh, no shit? Yeah. Uh, what, did you, what did you do with those games? Like what kind of, uh, what part of the project were you at with some of those? Well, what, Chuck Yeager, the first uh, flight simulator game? Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. You do? Uh, well, I interviewed Chuck Yeager and uh, was able to explain what is it that... Uh, this is the first time we were making a flight simulator game. So, like, what did he do uh, in a plane? How would it move? And um, we didn't really have access to an actual plane to make the game, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, so throttling and controls, how the gauges work, things like that. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, did you? So, uh, like, I don't know. What What did you learn over the years? And the like, did you do any of the MMO type games at all, or not? Not at no, all. No. Did, did, did you ever play a lot of them, like, like World of Warcraft or something like that? <laughs> World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. What is this world you speak of? Dude, I, work, I work for my living. They're actually getting ready to re-release um, uh, I think it's like the third expansion, Wrath of the Lich King, which was that and Burning Crusade were like probably my, my two favorite expansions. I mean, I, I helped build a game called Face of Mankind. And that was a game that came out in the early 2000s. It was not a successful game, but it was a unique game where there are different factions and you know, space mining guilds and buildings. It just came out too early. This was like a metaverse game. But now everyone's a metaverse game. I guess World of Warcraft is a metaverse game. I mean, whatever you want to call it, mo most of the MMOs were fairly uh like they were reasonably immersive and had plenty of sort of like human human interactions whatever you want to call that metaverse or otherwise but like um that was an early half-life modder you know like natural selection for mm -hmm. example yeah 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 i remember that natural selection too the game yeah i think i played that briefly <laughs> at some point pretty sure 
I recognize the name at least. It's been a long time. I don't remember the nuances anymore. Well, them, them younglings nowadays, them younglings don't appreciate the art of game making anymore. They're all about that Minecraft and building buildings inside of Minecraft and Roblox. This uh, PUBG. Yeah, shooting each other off the top of little pixels. Like it's Quake, but it's not Quake. No, no way. When I was a young man, we had Quake. Quake. Yeah, Quake was right after, not too far after Doom, right? Pretty much. Um, like five I think, years. I think within, yeah, maybe five years, you're right. There was kind of a, that was like a next graphics leap after Doom sort of yeah. introduced like real yeah, first right. person. Yeah. There was a Doom, Quake, then Half-Life. Then Half-Life 2 was the next kind of big graphics upgrade. Far Cry. Then there was Crisis, after Crisis, then everything changed. Were you a big fan of the like first-person shooter type games generally? I tend to get bored of it, those a lot. You don't forget, it was a lot harder to port those games. Um, that's the reason why there's so few PlayStation, Xbox portable games back then. Uh, there are different toolkits. So, for example, Killzone couldn't be ported on an Xbox. And then uh, Halo couldn't be ported to PlayStation. Very hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it was pretty much platform specific at the time, mostly. Yeah, there was Halo on computer, on PC, but it, it was shit. Yeah, Halo, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I never got into the Halo series. Interesting. I think I was busy working by that point and didn't care <laughs> or something. Well, this is 2003. Halo came out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was definitely too busy to play that at that time. But the younglings don't appreciate the hard work that goes into making these things. Now it costs a lot more to make a, a great title, AAA title. Yeah, like, what's your sense of that? Like, uh, to me, it's like, um, maybe I'm just, like, old, so that's why I think this way, but a lot of games don't need necessarily like extraordinary graphics, like extreme graphics to be really, really good. Like EverQuest had really good magic behind it as far as like the experience and the immersion. Um, even though like graphics weren't the best in the universe, they were good enough to feel great while you're playing the game. Like, I don't know that just because you have like an Unreal 5 engine that it automatically makes a good game. I, I think it probably most of the Unreal 5 games are probably shit, most likely. It's just become too easy to make a game in a sense. And like the really, really hardcore game designers that really um, put the extreme effort, uh, like, you know, it's easy to just make something shiny with the, with Unreal 5 that doesn't have any real, like, you yeah, anything uh, useful yeah. there. I think the most important games that came out in history probably uh, Command and Conquer. And Command and Conquer and Age of Empires were being played 10 years after they came out. Uh, for example, um, uh, what's it called? And I, I wasn't a part of the team, but um, uh, there, there are games like uh, Age of Empires, uh, 
um, strategy games, which yeah. honestly, strategy games have gone downhill since then. So that's an example. Yeah, Age but was pretty good. Early Age are, Empires were really good. Yeah. Um, and the new one sucks ass. Unfortunately. Actually, one of the guys from Whale Con- Connected Guild was here in the audience a second ago. I was, I was trying to get him to come speak, but he, he ha- he, these guys created like a, a guild management system that ties like almost like imagine kind of like a discord plus DAO tooling and the like a crypto connection to it to sort of create like um a guild a guild management system which is really interesting shrewd like something we didn't have when we were playing before like a lot of us Uh, i I remember age of empires had a guild management system for clans but um i think this idea that you're gonna be able to automate a lot of the clan guild stuff is farcical because the teams that actually make money won't be using it the esports teams um you know the idea that clans by being autonomous online organizations will come together and need tooling removes the fun of just having a thoroughly chaotic so I remember there are a lot of games. That's, that's that a good point. Actually, that's a good that point. When like overly balanced and overly organized, the next iteration of that version of the games had less people who played it. Right? Yeah, that's a great yeah. point, actually. Maybe some of the fun is the chaos. Yeah, well, sure. I think I think for for me, like I that used to be like the fun part of like planning out a raid is like figuring out like what groups got what buffs and how you were going to like rotate people in and out for different bosses based on, you know, a class that might be, you know, maybe you needed a mage to ice block and like cheese this thing or whatever. So you needed to bring more of them or whatever the case may be. But like, I think when wow started to go downhill for me is when they tried to make it so that like, Oh, it doesn't matter what class you bring. Cause everyone's, everyone's going to bring the, you know, the heroism buff now, or everyone's going to bring the, you know, the armor debuff on the boss. And then then it started to get kind of like boring because you could just, you didn't even need a guild anymore. You could just get together with, you know, a, a random pug group and go in and kill something because, you know, it, did, it didn't matter. You didn't have to like min-max anything. Like there was there was like the, you know, the guilds that were really pushing w- would min-max. Like, you know, you'd be required to have a second, you know, character of a... I mean, it should a, be said that when, you know, centralization versus decentralization, when the game is player-driven, um, the natural unbalances of the game are what make older players like it. And, uh, you know, it's a question of, do you maintain the older following who are nostalgic? Does that generate revenue? Or do you believe that you balance the game so you get more new players? Does that generate more revenue? And uh, the truth is, nowadays, the the calculation is different. The truth is, is that with the Chinese market, that has changed a lot of things. To get Chinese players who, there are a lot more of them, requires a lot of balancing. Chinese players don't want the chaos, right? And then you can get millions of new Chinese players, which is what happened with WoW, by the way. They were targeting that international market. Do you feel like... um... So the entry of, I remember when uh, quite a few, like, s- there was a lot of South Korean players in EverQuest on a server, but do you feel like maybe the Asian mindset or ethos, like, yeah, what, 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 how did the game that changed? 
like yeah like what kind of things did you feel like 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 what calculation are they making in their head that's different than like the average western kid uh, you know uh first off cheating is always an issue right on their side um there's cheating sometimes that happens in non-asian players but for them they it could actually be a business uh to level up characters that's the first thing uh the second thing is that you need to be treated equally in the in chinese culture for example i was on a tour in antarctica and one of the tour guides uh was talking to one of the chinese uh tour members more than others and everyone's really upset about that he complained they said then she should have talked talk to everyone equally so they're very noticed they noticed that quite a lot you know the unfairness factor you got to balance it out and the third thing is they want very obvious rules they don't want a lot of interest you know i wouldn't call it deep depth but something that has a lot of nuance in terms of rules in terms of game balancing they, so they sometimes want more rigid rigid rules maybe yeah to keep everyone in line to do certain things uh so for example there's a game called dread hunger it's not very famous but some chinese streamers made it famous in china there was an english speaking community of players they left because the servers were being inundated by chinese players doesn't matter though because the chinese players now if you go online on steam outnumber the english speaking players 10 to 1 right and there are different game balances so for example there's an armory in the game and if you outed yourself as the bad guy too early in the game all the other players would simply agree and open the armory getting the good weapons and start shooting the bad guys right <clears throat> but the game for english speaking players became boring because no one got the armory open why because obviously the strategy should be never to out yourself until the very end of the game but you have now less weapons so um that's just a small example but yeah like uh, what happened what happened in EQ i remember so we had um like we 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 were kind of a popular guild and this and that and then like an ace so one of the bigger guilds on our server was south korean and none of them spoke english uh it seemed like at least at least not obvious to us now they might have and they just didn't you know like reveal that but a lot of them did not speak english as far as we can tell and interestingly like you know how normally in a game like shroot uh in like world of warcraft for example you probably sort of like uh would agree with this there's a certain etiquette that takes place like for example if you're i don't know running some kind of raid or you're 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 doing something as a group and usually like another guild's not supposed to kind of like come and like fuck with that in especially in a pve type environment because it just causes chaos and then then you're messing with them and they're messing with you and it becomes like this just fucking nonsense because there's no actual gain to be had by attach, attacking each other in a pve environment it's just you just waste everyone's time and everyone gets upset but the but the language barrier made it such that like the the rules like the etiquette rules were not obvious to each group um to some extent though like pulling creatures and all the other stuff that you do in MMOs like um some of it like the rules of engagement of the game itself it became obvious regardless what language you played that these were the rules like it's sort of like the unsaid rules and sort of people sort of figured it out but sometimes the types of arguments that would happen cuz 
or not arguments, but just the chaos that would happen because like the two groups couldn't communicate was very interesting. So it's like, like, it, but at the same time, like a lot of the servers at the time were not like, okay, this is an English only server. This is a South Korean only server or something like that. Everyone just sort of showed up, right? So I don't even know what MMOs are like now as far as like, are there language specific servers or time zones or continents or what? Like how do, how do they avoid this problem? Uh, uh, region locked is now, is still not a thing. Um, because for very obvious reasons, Hong Kong players don't want to play mainland Chinese players, but with region lock, you'd be forced to. Um, so they are being forced to, or they're not right no, now? No, no, they're not. No, it's, it's pretty uncommon. It's pretty uncommon. Plus, most yeah. of the Chinese players are playing on VPNs anyway. Yeah, so. I, know, I know in WoW, like, we used to play with a lot of Aussies that would, like, maybe work night shift or something like that. So they would, they would prefer the American server because they would be, it would, it would be like their, you know, quote unquote daytime when we would be raiding in the States. But then they'd have to be really exceptionally good because now they're playing with like, you know, a thousand MS versus everyone else in your guild playing at like 50. Uh, Jimmy, you can't hear him. You, you might be bugged or something. You might have to leave and come back if. What, you can hear him? Yeah, I think it's your. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I know like for WoW, they have like, they have servers. They, they're like oceanic servers. I think they even have like some like Latin American servers where maybe most of the people speak, speak Spanish. Like, cause a lot of things, a lot of people join up on voice chat for things, both either in game or. You know, if you join a pug, sometimes they, you know, they won't do the pug unless you like join Discord or something like that. So to be in at least be in voice chat to hear people like explain like, you know, how to kill the boss, etc. So I, I, I don't but you can choose you're not you're not locked in like it's like they don't see that my IP is in the United States and like I'm forced to be in the United States. However, you can pick like your I know like a lot the WoW servers anyway used to be like you used to have to figure out what time zone they were in because a lot of people would be in a server that was close to them. So that way, you know, you're, you, you know, someone on the East coast isn't starting a raid at, you know, seven o'clock on the West coast and raiding until like, you know, 3 AM or whatever. I mean, some people would do that, you know, if the guild was maybe like a little bit more prestigious or something, but like, you know, your average Joe that's going to work the next day, isn't going to fucking <laughs> want to be up raiding until 3 AM. Uh, you know, five nights a week or whatever. Yeah, like back when we were playing, there weren't enough people playing to where you could really, really be real specialized in terms of time zone and region and everything. There just there, there weren't that many people on the internet. Like the entire community was like half a million people at best, and and um, you just had to sort of play with who you had. But for oh, me, um, you know, World of Warcraft is a failed game, and Blizzard is also a failed company because, in truth, they could have made a lot more money from that game had they been. In- had it been a better managed game. It's same with Diablo, by the way. Yeah. Well, they did pretty good overall. I would say I was hundred million. How long? I'm I'm surprised at how long World of Warcraft lasted. Actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's impressive. Yeah, but one you know, there are a lot of other games that last a long time too. No one talks about it. Like yeah, Mu Online. True. I think Mu Online probably made more money. To be honest. Mm. Mu Don't Online really. is as old as World of Warcraft. Yeah. What, what, wait, re- repeat that again. What's it called? Moo Online. Just type it in online and you'll find out 
How many people play no, Go I, Online? I missed the first word. It was, how do you spell it? M-U. Oh, M-U. Mu Online. Okay, okay. You heard, I think well, I heard of it a long time ago. I, I, a lot of people are sending me DMs or smiley faces because they've heard of it. Yeah, cool. And I'm sure people played it. I just don't recall. Um, I probably was out of gaming significantly by the time that emerged. I think that's... Uh, uh, I think I would have heard some of those. Two, three, yeah. I don't know if Maria can come up. I was trying to... Uh, I don't know if Maria, Maria, if you're there, like, can you come? Chat? I was trying to people up. I wanted to hear about her like NFT project stuff that she does because she's an artist. And stuff. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you I don't, don't want to hear about no more NFT projects, dude. I mean, are you serious? No, I was just curious. Like, she she has her own little thing and uh, does her art and whatever. And I think she's on Star. You're on Stargaze, right, Maria? Anyway, whatever. Uh, if she wants to speak, I don't know if she has time, but whatever. Have you seen a lot of the AI startups? And then you compare to these NFT projects and you think to yourself, people say NFTs are the most innovative thing out there. They're lying to you. Yeah, no, NFTs are definitely not the most innovative thing out there, for sure. But that's what they say. You know, I was using and I've been investing in many AI companies. And, uh, for example, just invested in a, uh, in a seat round for a makeup company. Uh, and you can go to them right now. Perfect AI. That's the company. And it does makeup, eyelashes, uh, mascara, foundation on your face. Perfect. It does this on photographs or it tells you what to buy? <laughs> like for your own face. And then it can suggest. I mean, if you want, I'll send you the, the link. But, um, so if I use this thing, it'll tell me what mascara and like what maybe like uh, concealer and shit to buy for my face. <laughs> well, it will, it, will, it will show you what it looks like on your face. Oh, I see. And, okay. it, and it does it perfectly, too. Um, another one would be just there's so many now. Uh, Gatic, which does uh, AI with uh, driverless trucks for going from warehouses to, you know, shops that's being used in, um, in Canada right now. That's been in for a while. Uh, AI for writing, which we've talked about. Okay, I just sent you the link. I think you should try it out. Just take, put any shitty photograph, and even if it's a bad photograph, it'll still work really well. The lipstick will be perfectly on the lips, even if it's a shitty photograph. You know, there's AI for interior design. So, for example, interior design. So, they're going to monetize that by, like, working with cosmetics companies or something? What basically happens with these companies is they're acquired. They build up the tech. People use it. Proof use cases are obvious over time, and they're acquired. That's usually what happens. So, for example, um, Amazon buys a lot of AI companies through the Alexa fund. And then there's a CIA-backed fund that by uh, InQtel, which once they get into a company, people see that you can get through a lot of the, the uh, red tape. So then the AI company could be used for a lot of applications that you need a license for. Um, so interior.ai, if you just use it right now, you can put any photograph of any background of any uh, room and get interior designs, which we have taken 
an interior designer hours to, to deliver to you 10 different interior designs and they all look beautiful and they all look good. They're just randomly generated from different colors mm-hmm. that you can select. I'm going to try so, this thing. My, I'm, my brother and I were designing his house recently. I want to see if he wants to like inject the 3d uh, models from his uh, thing he's been building and like maybe try that. Yeah, I want to you see insert it into your AI. That's cool. Uh, use, yeah. Many other AI applications getting into it. Uh, and, you know, people forget Elon Musk founded OpenAI. People forget that it was him who founded OpenAI. So not only did he do Tesla, SpaceX, many other things, PayPal. He's also the leader of AI because everyone is using OpenAI now. And uh, OpenAI is doing another funding round being led by Microsoft as we speak. Uh, so it's going to be even more accessible. Uh, open AI will become the ecosystem of the future where everyone has an API connected to it for any reason in any application. Uh, and it's going to replace a lot of things. For example, I saw AI generated music videos. Yeah, this I want you to make an AI Impressive. made music video or an AI made music, just a piece of music. Any piece of music, just go to one of them right now. I could send you a link. Just make a piece of music and tell me that it doesn't sound exactly like someone would have made for a Reddit post on getting hired as a, as a composer because they sound exactly the same. So what well, I, I think, wait, I think link post, send me that link too. Like what, uh, or maybe post Which one, on interior.ai? Well, I, I tried interior. I look at interior.ar. It looks pretty sweet, actually. I wanna, I'm going to give it a whirl. Yeah. Um, to see like how the music one. The music yeah, one. The, yeah. Can you okay. post the music one up top? Yeah. Well, only post you the one that I missed. That's probably better. Yeah. yeah sure. Uh, Whatever. Uh, yeah. These things are really cool. Didn't you post uh, the other day, Steffi, a podcast between <laughs> fucking Joe Rogan and yeah and, uh, Steve, Steve Jobs? Jobs like. Mm-hmm that was generated by and and like like a podcast so text and speech that yeah and was I, wild i, I to couldn't like tell i couldn't tell the difference like i've heard steve jobs speak plenty and i couldn't tell the difference between the sort of ai simulated version except when the laugh came around right like the laugh <laughs> yeah the laugh was pretty funny but you see yeah. kind of this is the issue of this uh ai is really good at telling stuff made by ai right so recently, Google yesterday had an update to its algorithm. It removes AI-made content from search. That's your, you're breaking one of the rules to get on in, in, to index. You're not allowed to have written content pretend to be human, human-made content anymore. Oh, really? Is that a rule now, Jimmy? Stop spam attacks. It's, mostly, it's officially to stop, stop spam attacks. But the truth is, of any company of AI, Google has the best. Obviously, it's also proprietary. No one can access it. Um, and it can easily detect open AI results easily. Really? Yeah, wow. it can easily. Do. So but you can talk about it and say, you know, oh, this is good. This is a deep fake. This is nice. You know, it's interesting. But the truth how is, it, how can it tell? Like, like it runs it. It runs it to just... see what the patterns are because human patterns are different from AI power patterns. Mm, it can so tell. Like, there's a there's a in, internal inconsistency maybe in the copy. Yeah, so I'll give you another example. Um, I do this for a lot of uh, uh, regimes in the world. I invest in a company that creates um, uh, clothing 
to stop AI-powered cameras from detecting humans or faces. And what you do is you confuse the camera and shoot it with different confusing images and can no longer detect a human pattern anymore. That's another example. It's not hard to defeat AI. That's the thing. It's not that hard. I recently yeah. invested in a company that creates drone blasters. It brings down drones by blasting them with AI-powered frequencies. It changes frequencies at an AI-powered basis until the drone is brought down. That's another example. Wow. Yeah, my, there was another one. Um, so Revit is a piece of software created by, I believe, Autodesk, if I'm not mistaken. It's, a, it's an architecture um, modeling platform that is, it's like a complete architecture package where engineers and architects and everybody can work on the same platform and submit all their data into the same system and you can build off of it. So it's like this uh, sort of cohesive group building platform in a sense. And it's really, really impressive. And a lot of companies are like, let's say you have a refrigerator for a house. They'll, they'll release a model that fits Revit so people can easily integrate that into their thing, right? But interestingly, like the type of AI stuff that's happening in that space is like, okay, like you have a property, uh, a, a piece of land, and that piece of land is in a certain angle, a certain direction, a certain size. You want certain features in it, like a garage and a kitchen and whatever. You want the, uh, you want the best sort of like sun conditions and angle of rotation and maybe optimizing for the least amount of wasted space as a, you know, your driveway or something. It, it, like, it takes all the parameters that you, and the constraints that you care about, and it sort of generates sort of like it knows like based on obviously the the latitude and longitude and the sun directions and all the other bullshit which way the wind is going and all that it can actually produce a house for you that's like you know sort of like feng shui ready so to speak it's like ready to go as far as like yeah, you know, but I, i've always been pretty cool in, in prop tech unless you're going to help the inefficiencies you're not going to make money what i mean by this is that AI companies in prop tech, the ones that are successful, are very successful, are ones that can aggregate correct real estate prices. They're held secretly by the large real estate companies. So that real estate companies that own most of the residential right now can fix prices. They actually know what the real prices are and they make sure that it's not public. So they raise prices in tandem with each other. They use different AI bots to talk to each other in their system. So it doesn't look like they're fixing it, though. That is a successful company. It was recently yeah. sued. It was recently sneaky, sued by the sneaky little shit going on, yeah. It's not sneaky. AI bots talk to each other to fix prices. You cannot say a human did it, but the AI bot is told the rules are talk to all these other bots so that the real prices are never revealed. They never list uh, a property. If you do warn the human, if it is at the correct real estate price or rent price, always make sure that it's above the price. So therefore well, you can but fix what problems. was done about it though? Like you said, it's so nothing can be done about it. Yeah. Nothing can be done about it. You're going to do something about that. Come on. So does, so what They're happens? Getting sued, but it's going to be a slap on the wrist. It'll be a fine. Uh, and then you're not going to stop this. 
yeah, how, how are you going to like, yeah, not only that, but how is the market eventually going to respond? If everyone's using a bot, then the prices become kind of. The same for a lot of trading nowadays. A lot of quant firms have these AI bots that collude with one another. Humans aren't doing it. The AI bots are talking to each other. If you turn it on and you have a system where other AI bots are allowed to talk to each other, they're talking to each other. So they're all doing trades in tandem, in sequence, but it doesn't look like that when you look at the trading records. But you think you it's being done specifically to obfuscate like volume or other things? Or you yeah, it's what Jump is doing. It's what uh, D. Shaw is doing. It's what Jane Street's doing. It's what you know, these font firms are doing, and they're very successful at it. I, all, you know, Jump has the best traders in the world by far. You know, Jump has traders who've made hundreds of millions of dollars on their own portfolio, successful traders, but they just give them the tools that those traders want. And uh, they give them this ability to make sure that markets are fixed. I know a lot of traders who work at Jump, and they were very successful before they went to Jump. Uh, they were at their own desks or leading desks. And now why, they're just Why did they bother joining them? Because safety. Jump cannot go wrong when you have this technology behind them. Mm. Most of these markets, Jump trades, are very illiquid. Like, they do a lot of commodities trading nowadays, nowadays, too. And no one ever thought that bots for commodities trading would be successful until today. And they are. AI-powered bot. These are all AI-powered bots. I got to boogie, guys. You guys have a great time. Have a good night. Uh, I'll talk yeah, to you guys later, tomorrow. Man. Have care. a good one. Bye-bye. But I, I just don't like some of these NFT projects using AI-generated art. Uh, guys, come on! Don't buy that stuff. It's not that special. Yeah, I would. I would agree. It's just well, not only that, but the current state of AI-driven art. It looks like the current state of AI-created art. So, like, mm, it's like really obvious for some reason to the human eye that that's AI-generated for a lot of them. Um, well, although I would use an AI, and uh, they're not even using good versions of it. Uh, if they were using other versions, it would be harder. But they it's don't want it's getting harder for sure. Like in the next few years, it'll be really, um, some of the work will look so good. Um, I like some of the work looks great now, quite frankly, but like, I think, uh, it, it's so well, because machine learning basically is also learning what people like and don't like. Um, it's, it only takes a, you know, a few years or even less of iterations and the system gets much, much better at deciding what human beings like what, how to tickle the human mind, essentially, with the, with the image. And I think the same will happen in music, too, for the most part. Well, the two things that are being targeted right now in the AI community is AI-powered humor. Once you accomplish that, you can be in pass a Turing test. And that has not been met yet. And the ability for AI to win all games all the time. All games. Any game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the that did you by the way, did you see that Steve Jobs Joe Rogan thing I posted? It's two AI. I, I've seen it before. Not very important to me. Not very but, important. You, but did you watch how like they, they, they did a pretty good job? Like the two AIs interviewing each other, essentially what it was. Is like is a fake Joe you can Rogan. Fake that now and any bot you can look go online and create it yourself. It's not that hard. Yeah, exactly. Well, well all they did was they said, Okay, Joe Rogan interviews Steve Jobs and the thing does the research, it figures it out and kind of like yeah. <laughs> creates this thing. It's, impre it's impressive though, when you watch it in action.
I mean, everything about AI is impressive. The question is, how often does it have to be impressive for it to lose its value? And I oh, think true. that... That's true. Yeah. Um, to, to the extent that AI is powerful as a tool, the things that AI will be important for in terms of investments will be fixing real-world issues. So that's medicine, for example. Being able to find medicine for rare, rare diseases. There's a lot of companies doing that right now. A lot of companies. Because it wasn't profitable before when you had a lot of people working on the same thing. Yeah, Google's, Google's AlphaFold, which is the um, protein folding uh, system, has done a pretty good job in, in uh, like really, really uh, making much faster the prediction models for turning uh, an amino acid sequence into a yeah. full... I mean, and then the other thing would uh, be plastics and metals. Casting and having it made in-house. So what I mean by this is the supply chain is a very complex and very expensive thing. So I invest in one company, for example. Now they make drones where on the battlefield you can get a 3D printer and 3D print the drone that you need. AI, you put in the parameters, but the AI actually makes the drones themselves. So for example, you need an underwater reconnaissance drone. You put in the type of water, and then the, uh, the 3D printing machine makes the drone for you on the spot, right? Uh, metal casting, same thing. You're at a, a factory, you need a spare part. It's a metal part. The AI-powered casting, in this case, 3D printing of metal parts, makes it for you. This massively reduces the supply chain. You don't need the welders and you don't need the designers. You don't need many things uh, in the early parts of the supply chain anymore. That's going to be another thing that AI is ta currently tackling. Um, and so uh, when we look at what is uh, being done right now, the truth is everything is being done to make small, nimble teams very powerful. And that is currently the, the target for AI to become that toolkit so that you can just do anything that was un unimaginable three or four years ago. And so it'll be one per someday it'll be one person could be walking around. As long as they have it, the AI powered uh, 3D generator, like the actual 3D printer, uh, then they can build whatever they want, right? They don't design anything. And then it fixes something or builds something or yeah, and so and even things like some of the AI solutions are even better sometimes than fully integrated or or simpler to create now than fully integrated like um, like interface standards. I'll give you an example. Like look look at accounting. Um, if you run a business like uh, collecting receipts and you know like logging them into you know scanning them in and all this other bullshit that people do in their business if they own one um the a lot of the accounting garbage is clearly computerizable some of it could be mu made much quicker if you had just standards so file standards for like receipts and things like that which don't exist for the most part um or at least not, none that are really widely adopted but if you skip all of that and you say okay well the the ai is going to figure out which receipt does what it's going to look at patterns of how I filed these before and use that same thing to assign which chart, you know, which account that's going to go with and all of this. Um, you, you end up short circuiting the need for like 
creating a massive programming interface to connect different things. And the AI can just connect disparate systems together through, you know, just the machine learning components as opposed to having it all hard coded, which is really, really fascinating. Um, and well, <laughs> I guess is just another avenue to, to let that programmers are going to have to like compete with in terms of like, uh, uh, I don't know, like it's, it's just one more way to execute, uh, solutions that doesn't require the traditional level of integrations that we think of today between software, right? Like, sure. I mean, uh, there is now AI bots that do certain types of data science better than humans. That's a big, that's a new thing. It's going to take a long time to be as good as a human for many things and programming, but that's a new thing because it was, uh, the company's called synthetics data, not synthetics, the crypto bullshit. And, um, it generates fake data sets to train models. Um, and it does this because data sets are very expensive. And what it's supposed to do over time is supposed to merge data sets that are real. So that eventually it becomes a, able to basically get better, more accurate data sets over time than even the real data sets because of the limitations of the data that you're able to get. Um, so you're talking about things like the movement of crowds and traffic or maybe like cars? No, like brain waves. Brain proteins. You know how hard does get brain protein data, and expensive. Of course, yeah. Creates good parameters for it. That's what it does. So you're saying like the the creation of, uh, like ar not only artificial data sets but like edge cases and everything else, so that you can, uh, train another system with this information. So like one company would focus on the creation of artificial data sets and other companies might then like pay for using them, something like that. Yeah. It would use it to train their models to see how far it can go to get them in the research before they can afford to get the actual data to train those models. And then once those models have enough data, because that's the question of ML models, data, millions, tens of millions of data points. Once they can get the access, to the real data, the models will continue to work flawlessly. That's what's really important. I, I, yes and no. I mean, I, so I work at um, a large healthcare payer and I do a lot of like AI and ML for looking for like fraudulent claims. And we've, you know, I can't tell you how many times we've hired someone who like, hey, I used to be a data scientist at NASA and all that shit. But like at the end of the day, at least at this point in time, I'm sure this is subject to change. This has nothing to do with talking about. It's not a fraud. But you still need a subject matter expert to kind of help build the model. Like, yeah, like the, the well, technology in, is... In, um, bioengineering, we have enough basic information about the heart. Do you need a heart expert? Maybe. But the truth is, if you can model the heart correctly, you probably won't. It's very different from fraud. Very different from something that has those kind of regulations. You can see the difference, right? Yeah, sure. But I'm just saying, I think there's still, there's still uh, in, in certain instances, I still think that there's, at, at least for now, there's still, you know, room for having, you know, a subject matter expert to help guide whatever, you know, that process is. And maybe for some... Well, in, some actuary science, in actuarial science and insurance, yeah. I don't think AI will ever be able to replace that because... The, you have to make case judgments of the value of how much the insurance companies were really willing to pay out 
And uh, those values change, those human inputted values always change. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, though. So you're talking about systems that are like by by their nature. Sort of closed, constrained systems. That's what you hear when you go to a pitch, a pitch, right? Of let's say Series A AI company. You want to hear this: constrained, 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 constrained. It's a constrained environment, right? What does that mean? That means, for example, one of the companies I invest in, which does the not last distribution, final distribution, or initial distribution, they do middle distribution. Why? Because all it does is the same thing over and over again. The van goes from the warehouse to a store. They drop things off. And it's a highly constrained environment. In that case, AI is very useful, correct? It's very, very useful in a highly constrained environment. And that's what you'll always hear from these founders. They'll be asked the same question. How constrained is this environment to use AI? Because then you will know how much human input will be required to make it successful over time, right? You want the least amount of human input. Music is another one. Music is a highly constrained environment. There's only a certain number of inputs. You know that very well. Only a certain number of octaves uh, that can be possible, right? Right, right. So that's, it's very different than what this other guy is talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I, I'm actually going to try out the, the, the sound draw that you put up top. Is there one yet that you can like put in, let's say a song you like, let's say a, some kind of electronic track or some shit, and then it will take that and create something. Yeah, that one. You can do in that a similar. That so this will allow yeah, you, this will do like what, like listen, or do you just upload a file? Or Why don't you just try it out first before constantly yeah, I'll saying try it. I'm just asking, does this, like, just, just for the. You can do that. Um, you could do this other ones too. Um, so. Yeah, it looks interesting. I'm going to try it. But both this and the architect, like I like music related stuff and I do a little bit of creation with a keyboard and, you know, digital workstation, shit like that. I'll send you another link of another that's company. Kind of fun. That's, yeah. um, there you go. Because I think one of the things people talked about with the music creation strategies is like, let's say you're a musician and you're like, well, I kind of have some idea of what I want. You produce some things and then like this the system sort of spits you out something maybe close to what you might be thinking of and then you update that so it's almost like a muse for the creator um where you can kind of create something that you ultimately want to make but like the system helps you along the way um is yeah it's for yeah. uncreative people yeah um, like if you, if you look at have you uh like if you watch what like dead mouse does who's a really really has high level expertise in like analog synthesizers and all of the nuances of how to do that like his expertise over you know a couple of decades um makes it really hard to catch up with him if you're just some loser that like picks up a new keyboard and wants to make something um and like some of those um sounds that he creates though i would think that um ml systems and stuff are going to be able to really do a good job copying some of those things it's going to be hard well, to as long as you record all the sounds that those uh instruments make yes yeah i think i think it's going to be well what do you mean like uh no what i'm saying is that like i think systems that like you just described here are going to come out where you'll be able to even make variations on those without having the original um yes, the yes, original i got, I got your point i think we all the original the software to to play with yeah, them, we, right? we yeah. yeah and it's just one of those next steps um but you know what? 
the real issue at hand is, I think, <clears throat> to replace humans um, is always going to be a big win. And the holy grail of replacing humans is to be able to automate semiconductors. And as you know, if you ever go to a semiconductor factory, and not a lot of it actually is fully automated. Uh, it's a sad thing. Um, uh, there is a lot of machinery and robotics, yes, but not as much as people would expect. Um, and we need to get to the point where we're able to produce food, synthetic food, and <clears throat> semiconductors through AI robots uh, and large mass scaling assembly factories. Until we get to that point, we can never create clones of humans, which will be necessary to um, settle planets or create new armies. Uh, you know, you can see right now that the UN is talking about banning AI killer drones. Just type it in. Secretary of the UN denounces AI killer bots, and they're being used. They're fully autonomous, going around killing people, which I support, by the way, you know, because it means that you have to have less people involved in the war. Um, and we need to get beyond that to things that save human beings. And we were very far away from that, unfortunately. Hey, Tom, what's up? Hey, guys. Uh, I just uh, I had a quick thought. I want to kind of, if you guys are willing to backtrack a little bit. Um, if it is quick, talking, then speak. Yeah. I heard you guys talking about, like, uh, using AI. Like, if you could use AI to sort of take a certain sound. Like, let's say you're, you're doing the score for The Rings of Power. And you want your music to sound like Howard Shore's music from Lord of the Rings. Um, and you use some sort of AI to, you know, you plug in whatever song from Lord of the Rings and it spits out something that just sounds like it comes from that world. Um, I, one of you guys said, like, yeah, it's for uncreative people. Um, I think, you know, obviously, like, as far as art goes, uh, and I know this is like not not the big picture of what you guys are talking about, but I think what's more important with anything artistic is like talking. You're talking about Dead Mouse. I mean, you could say like house music is. Uh, one of the least artistic uh, forms of music in a way, because it's... But it's also the largest moneymaker. Yeah, but I, I think in any form of art, I think what's more important is if you could listen or see, listen to or see something and say, that was made by so-and-so. So, like, you could listen to a Dead Mouse song and know that he was the one who produced it. And I think that... You can create different styles, just... Click on that link and you'll be able to, you know, click on different style options and make the same kind of music as him. It's not that hard. He's not yeah, special. Uh, well, here, well, here's the thing. Like, I think he, what makes him special is that he has a unique sound that is recognizable as him. And I think that goes for any. Yes, we just went over that. If you overproduce and make too many through, uh, of copies, essentially, it reduces the overall value. Yeah, we got that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of commenting on the, like, you know, because any artist of any form is using, whether they know it or not, is using everything around them as inspiration. And, and still, Man, are you just saying obvious things? Of course we're, uh, we're using inspiration from things around us. You, what, do you live in a cave? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Jimmy's no. messing with you now. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. You're not going to get karma points here. This is not Reddit where you're farming karma. Yes, we agree with you. What else do you have to say? 
So I have a question, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, go um, ahead. <laughs> excuse me. Um, I'm a little under the weather, as you can tell. And um, I just was listening to you guys, and I see a lot of different signs up above. You sound a little bit like a prick I'm right now. I like you too much. So I'm just trying to stand back and watch you be mean to somebody. Well, I'm sorry. Can you not hear me? I thought I was trying to talk. We can here. hear you. There's someone interrupting you, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, that's okay. Maybe he's not hearing me. Sometimes Twitter spaces glitches. But I was just curious, like, um, what is your guys' perspective on, like, the difference between, you know, like, all the names up top? There's a bunch of different, like, um, chains and coins and crypto projects versus Bitcoin. You know what, guys? I don't want to get involved in this bullshit argument between projects versus Bitcoin because this guy is trying to get people to follow him. DJ, I know your plans. No, I'm not. Uh, you are a fraud. You get people to follow you in your account so that you can shill shitty projects to them. And that's what oh, you okay. always do. You I shill shitty projects to yeah. Bitcoin to get people sure, into I, these other states. I'm sorry that I... I'm sorry that I... I'm sorry that I cursed your wife. Okay. I apologize. Okay. I know that okay. you're brokenhearted, and I know it's been okay. tough, man. But like, don't, can we just see get to the question? Can we can we focus okay. on the question so, right now? Uh, no, I don't so think it's an important question. You're asking like like why other computers versus Bitcoin or what? Like, no, I'm just curious. Like on your guys' perspective, like do you guys hold Bitcoin in self custody, or do you guys not care about it at all, and do you don't see any importance of it? Um, you. Like, I think you missed the earlier conversation. Uh, Jimmy and I have been around a long time. Like, we've been, you know, we, we were like trading video game gold when we were children. Like, it, it, like we're kind of old. So, yeah, we, we know all about Bitcoin and all of the nuances behind it. Like, Dude, we knew about Bitcoin before Didich Toshi was even aware that his balls dropped. Totally. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I like, like I, the yeah. Justin Bieber, the Bitcoin community, bro. Yeah, we, we like, yeah, the, the, like, I was soldering circuit boards from radio, you know, like, with, acid from radio shack in the 80s nice. just as a reference so yeah so i'm like, just curious yeah, what do you see happening like with all these other projects versus bitcoin like are you gonna just base are you basically just using it as a trading opportunity is that what's going on yeah not well first off like 95 plus percent probably of all people in the crypto space are in it for the money or the you know the the some financial angle right it's most people totally. that don't have some kind of fantastical view of their assets necessarily so obviously like you'll have the you'll have the bitcoin people that are very very um uh, what's the right word it like um they're sort of like they believe in the vision of it the tech and so they own it for their whatever financial sovereignty um but at the same time it's like okay i own apple stock uh, i own you know, like other things. Uh, and like, you know, many people, many different projects are doing very, a lot of interesting things. Um, so uh, no one necessarily makes the claim that every, uh, type of crypto project is necessarily like a yeah. store of value type proposition necessarily. So each, like, it's just like programming languages. You could have arguments endlessly about is go better or rust or whatever. Um, they're like, so when it comes to utility, as far as like crypto projects or otherwise, just think of a blockchain as a computer and, or a ledger and you can use it. You can not, you could, you have people that use it for different types of tasks. 
Um, you can connect it to various types of systems. You can easily transfer value um, from dollars to, I don't know, atoms to back to dollars again, buy shit, whatever the hell you want. Right. So it's not like um, numbers on a ledger are necessarily magic. Um, you know, I was just, the reason I asked, right, it's really not to be hostile or anything like that. I'm just curious because I find that like a lot of people who've been in the space for a long time, they create communities and they get like a big following, but then I like try to listen to them and I try to like understand like what value they're providing to their community. And the only thing I hear is them just showing project after project. And I'm just curious, like in your like experience, like do you personally think that it's important that people first learn about Bitcoin and understand what Bitcoin is and how to I'll use it this. and the whole point I of it? I know what's important is that people are able to make their own decisions. First decision should be made is to throw your ass out of here because you associate you're fucking 16 years old. You say that you own a little bit of Bitcoin. There's absolutely no proof. And you're using these talking points, which you've constantly reported yourself doing again and again for the last six months. I've been into every single space. And this is the exact same agenda that you talk about. Literally, word for word, you're copying it off of scripts that probably someone else gave you. And from there, you go and try and make friends by having some kind of consensus agreement that Bitcoin is important. We're all going to agree with you. We all like Bitcoin. Yes, we like Bitcoin. We also like some other projects. And you're just going to keep on asking random questions so you can farm karma get likes. No, pathetic. no, no, no. I, I, I was curious about And Bitcoin. honestly, I, I think everyone in the world is If we want to know about Bitcoin, troll. we can do this thing called Google it. Trolling. Bro, look at your own spaces. Barely people, anyone attends it. It's full of bots. Like Shirley Lowe, who's honestly always your constant attendee. Shirley Lowe, who's a bot. You know, Shirley Lowe, and let me just say something about those bots. They don't give a fuck about what you say, because I get it. You think that you can sell your likes, you can sell your backlinks <laughs> to people. But honestly, I get that. We're tired of hearing about Bitcoin. Yes, we like Bitcoin. Okay, DJ, DJ we like Bitcoin. attack dog here for, for some reason today. I like um, Bitcoin. We don't <laughs> like Bitcoin. Yeah. Um. Well, let, let, let's put it to you this way, DJ. Uh, do you believe there's a reason for any other computational platforms or form uh, value transfer mechanisms besides Bitcoin? And what are you looking for uh, in terms of financial utilities? And do you even know what you want exactly? Yeah, I want hard sound money, um, which is Bitcoin because of it checks off all of the best properties that money requires, right? Saying so, the same things you said yesterday and the week before. Yeah, but like anything like everything, you're saying, everyone's, Jimmy, relax, brother. This is, this He's is asking the, a good this question. This is a great this question. This is the crowd. I appreciate that, it. You're, you're, but you're quizzing the folks that have like read the Bitcoin standard and all the usual like talking points, the white you're, paper. You're, quiz, blah, you're blah, quizzing blah. the people who got into Bitcoin in 2012 and 13. DJ. No, no, no. I mean, I just want to make sure that, you know, I mean, who, who cares about you making sure the, the thought police of Bitcoin? You're nobody behind a screen. You're a 16 year old who barely graduates high school. You keep calling me 16. Uh, I'm 18, Jimmy. I've told you this. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's I'm, great. That I'm makes sorry me I, I'm sorry you that I by the took age your wife when you can actually you, legally drink in the man, United States. You got it. The shame you have to get hired somewhere and then some companies have to listen to your crap about Bitcoin. No one's going to do that. Guys, we, this is a good space talking about things related to Cosmos, related to AI, problems of society, hard problems of society. And we will not be able to get closer to solving those problems of society by talking more and more about the obvious talking points of Bitcoin, which have been gone over for the last 10 years 
ad nauseum ad nauseum and when someone who's 18 who never had the opportunity to get into bitcoin was actually cheap is fomoing into it now he's angry the fact that we're older than him we had that opportunity you don't need to quiz us little friends you're our little bitcoin brother that's what you are nothing more yeah i appreciate you jimmy yeah, you know, uh, you're, you're trying to make an escape. You know, we are having like a real conversation here. You can go with your big. I want to talk about Cosmos. Are you ready to talk about Cosmos? You just need to put uh, the, the word BTC and the spaces, and you're going to find like 5,000 shitty spaces. So let us talk here about real shit. Real use cases, applying the web three and stuff, please. So, okay, so what use cases are you talking about? Can you please explain? Oh my, uh, there's no way yeah. on God's green earth that this is a productive conversation to talk about Bitcoin versus Cosmos. Yeah, the only thing that you could use Bitcoin for something is with Babylon, at least using the technology for um, for the data. But man, please. Get over, bitch. Yeah, get, like, guys, can I just okay, go over some very obvious Anton, problems? I have a question. No, no, hold on. Hold let me on. ask Anton DJ, a quick let, Let's talk about something very he's obvious. Got, right? He's got you're a 18. Good point, right? You don't have any income, right? And you're trying to farm followers because Listen, you know Jimmy, that at some second, point you can Jimmy. sell your backlinks for a lot of money. That's Jimmy, the way it works. Relax, you know, anyone who has 20,000 followers or 100,000 followers on Twitter, they can sell their backlinks for $1,000, $2,000 a pop, right? They can sell. Uh, usage of their space to talk about their project for a few thousand dollars a pop. I'm going right? to sell mine for and, Listen, he yeah, changed no, see, the name you of could the easily, space right? and Bitcoin And that is, is what you're trying to build. I am now so like, happy. Instagram Literally, influencers, my TikTok influencers are able to make way more money than regular people in regular I, I jobs think I'm ready to because your people require their ability to, to basically Bitcoin manage content through those distribution channels. And there aren't that many distribution channels and the problem There's is that you're 18, you really have no idea what you're talking about. Over you don't me. Own I, can I really doubt you even own any Bitcoin. I don't you even own any Bitcoin. And there are better Jimmy. Bitcoin traders out there who are able Bitcoin. to build better Bitcoin content managing social channels far better than you. Much men- That's really funny. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing is, if I start the Bitcoin quiz, I'm going to leave most of you behind. So I think it's probably a bad idea to start that discussion here. It's just a waste of time. Like, um, yeah, like the interesting thing about the Bitcoin argument is that that uh, most people in most circles can clarify like what a particular thing can't do. So what we're going to do is see if DJ knows what Bitcoin is not useful for. We already know what it's useful for. So like, I think... The question then becomes, what does it not do? And what other computational efforts are beneficial to the human race or otherwise? And what kind of things would he build uh, outside of whatever Bitcoin he's buying for whatever reason? So in other words, all computational and ledger-based systems are useless because you have Bitcoin. That's the question I have to ask DJ next. So let's see if DJ has any answers for uh, ideas uh, that are unique. Let's see. All right, DJ, uh, go ahead. What kind of computational systems you would want to see built outside of sure. Let's just see how, let's see how that goes. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, I really don't believe that blockchain technology is something new under the sun. Um, I mean, we already know the history of blockchain technology and it's been around for more than 30 years. 
you can look this up for yourself and learn about it. What was the first blockchain? Um, the first blockchain? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, you don't um, know anything. That's why. Yeah, no, I, I should look that up. I don't know when the first blockchain was being so, used, but you I know, know that. Fraudsters, what they do is they start with very vague sentences and they end with extremely precise conclusions about things that may or may not happen. Well, we're, we're tired matter, of your fraud. I'm tired. <laughs> so let me just, let no, me just give to, Chifai, Answer uh, questions. So that, yeah, I will. Now, quickly. So, uh, yeah, Jimmy, you talk a lot and nobody interrupts quickly you. Quickly answer the question. You're good answer. at entertaining. So answer the question. Calm down. Calm down. I'm about to answer it. If you keep interrupting me, it's going to be Go hard. Ahead. But yeah. So to answer Cifai's great question, one thing that I think we don't need on Bitcoin is, for example, NFTs. I really don't think there's any good use case. That wasn't a question. Though. I didn't ask you what to add to Bitcoin. We already know what it does. I'm asking you. No, no, no what you asked what it doesn't do. What computational systems do you think are useful or not useful that you'd like to see built? Or useful things you'd like to see built? Or do you believe well, like the Bitcoin network too. is the last useful computer that you need? No, of course not. No. All I'm saying so, is that we don't need 21,000 other cryptos. I think you don't understand what blockchain does. Okay, so explain it to me. DJ, can I ask what you a question, DJ? What is your favorite does? algorithm, DJ? What's your favorite algorithm? Come on, let me let me hear from C5 what he thinks. No, what's your favorite algorithm? It's a very simple question. If you know a lot about blockchain stuff, you're telling people how to buy things in this space. You're talking a lot about technology. What is your favorite algorithm? My favorite algorithm is listening to Jimmy the Otter. So let me give yeah, you an example. Let me give an example of some technologies that are interesting that are probably worth creating. Okay. So Bitcoin's really good for peer-to-peer transactions. What it's not so great at is it doesn't have any built-in exchange. So ultimately, if you look at most of the volume of Bitcoin, it takes places on, on places like Binance that are super, super centralized, right? So what kinds of things is our blockchain projects are trying to accomplish? They're trying to accomplish things such as creating Bitcoin exchanges that are truly decentralized, for example. Um, so that's one type of sort of computational strategy that, um, that could be. Yeah, there already exist DEXs. So we already have DEXs. And DEXs will definitely. Yeah, I want you to answer this. Wait, 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 that. That's a great point. It's not, it has nothing to do with what he asked, by the way. Again, are you going to give him all the time in the world? Because Antonin, Antony's here, and he's a great Cosmos soldier, and he has a lot of great things to offer. And Tom is here and has hand raised up the last 10 minutes. And this retard, this retard can't even name one algorithm, one algorithm. I personally like merge sorts. I like quick sorts. I like insertion sorts. I like uh, heap sorts. I love these things because it helps me with my jobs. It helps me with real use cases. It allows me to basically parse great data. So Jimmy, but it you just wouldn't know anything about like that. So Tom, go ahead. Tom, go so ahead. Tom, go ahead. Tom, go ahead. Tom, go ahead. No, no one from you. Tom, go ahead. Tom, talk. Tom, talk. Tom, time for Tom, talk. Uh, so I have a I have a question for Sefi. Um, sure. And, and so, excuse me if some of my terminology isn't great because I, I don't have a, a wide technological knowledge base. Um, but so, if you go to Osmosis and you look up Luna Classic, the price of Luna Classic is like just over half the price of what it actually should be. Um, and 
am I right in assuming that when the IBC is turned back on, the Terra chain can then communicate with Osmosis and transfer Luna Classic back and forth? Yes. So what will happen is normal arbitrage can take place. So people will move whatever, like they'll buy the cheap Luna Classic on Osmosis. They'll go sell it for the full price somewhere else. And what will happen then is slowly the price on osmosis will rise to meet the price everywhere else. So that's how arbs, arbitrage works. Um, if you look, if you were kind of in Bitcoin when there weren't very many exchanges, like you could have like a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars differences easily between like one exchange and the other, and usually be country related, like Japan exchanges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exchanges. Yes, exactly. So what would what people would do is they'd buy Bitcoin. But you did with a sperm at the time. Yeah, you'd, you'd uh, yeah, donate, get some sperm, get your money, and then you'd go and get your Bitcoin. You'd go and send it to another uh, country's exchange that had the the a price that was more expensive for whatever reason, and you would sell it and arbit. And slowly, as the markets got bigger, professional market makers took care of most of that. So if you go today to um, like you know price feeds on everything from CoinGecko to anywhere, right, you'll find that the price of Bitcoin is largely the same in most of the areas in the world. And you tend to see that in highly liquid markets like Bitcoin. Uh, in the beginning, it was not liquid and it would, you'd create like all sorts of slippage problems on different exchanges and whatever. Um, and like when you try to buy it, like you think you're buying a you know, $100 worth, but you only got 90 because like you had $10 of slippage or some nonsense. So yeah, it, like liquidity has gotten much, much better, obviously, but that's the concept concept of arbitrage. And then in DeFi, you also have things like oracles, like Chainlink, that help connect the prices of things across different exchanges to help market makers further uh, improve, um, like the it, just further improve the market orders that are available and like your efficiency. I don't like Chainlink. I call Chainlink ad. Chainlink, stop extorting fifty million dollars from each chain to integrate Chainlink. Stop it. Yeah, Thank Chainlink you. is is yeah. Their business models is what it is, I guess. <laughs> that yeah. that example. And if someone doesn't want to use Chainlink, stop allow stop not enabling them to integrate with Chainlink just because they use another Oracle as well. That that example you just set the hundred dollars. No, I'm not talking about that, DJ. What is your favorite algorithm, like DJ? What is you, your favorite yeah, algorithm, DJ? Name me one algorithm, DJ. You said you're a blockchain so, expert. You tell so everyone you're a blockchain days, expert. Right? Name me one algorithm. One algorithm. I never Jesus claimed Christ. to be a blockchain one. expert. Yes, you did. You're a liar yeah. now. You're a liar. And you always tell people you know more about blockchain technology and Bitcoin than anyone else. And you're 18 years old and you never had a job before. So really, bro, go read a book. Back to square one here. Like I the started working when I was 13, but thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, since sure. In a sweatshop for bullshit. Since the crowd here is typically involved with like uh, considering and uh, new technologies, what new technology in the, let's say, financial space, since we're talking about Bitcoin, uh, what new technology would you like to see that you think would be useful? Do you have any idea besides, you know, like, you know, my Bitcoin's interesting, which, by the way, some, you know, we've been shilling Bitcoin for a very long time. So it's not really new to us. Like, there's not, like, there's not a whole lot Good. of arguments left that we have. No, that's all I care about. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, people that are listening that are new to the space follow you. That, like, for example, for example, for example, right? Like, Anton here. No, no. Nobody cares. Sure. Most of the human race is retards. Let's just start with that. Like, no one's going to go and read the fucking Bitcoin white paper. They're not going to understand how blockchain works. Well, I disagree. Works. I think 95 most people, of people will have will to not learn understand about it. it. 
Dude, yeah, but I think they will. Just, equals MC squared has one. been around how long? If I quiz you right now on the theory of relativity, we'll, we're going to see how this goes. <laughs> but he's yeah. never, he never said he's an expert in science. He said he's an expert in Bitcoin. I'm exactly. just saying, like, there's things that are quite important that nobody knows about, and most people True. won't understand Bitcoin either. This idea that but you're you're really right, about but they don't need to, but they no, don't need to understand no, how to. They don't need to understand how been used by different marketing ad exchanges to get more followers. There is an army of people like DJ because you know what CPI. The eCPM of crypto is, it's like $10. Did you know that, by the way? The eCPM of crypto is one of the highest. It's uh, mortgages, uh, internet hosting, insurance, and then followed by crypto. So obviously farming engagement, which is essentially what DJ is doing, is extremely profitable. And for an 18-year-old who builds up his follower stack, if he's able to build it up to 50,000, 100,000 followers, that in many ways is more profitable, just in terms of pure impressions. Right. Then just having a normal job working at Walmart, or Walgreens or McDonald's, where, you know, I, I don't dis, dislike anyone working at those places. But looking at DJ's intelligence level, that's really where he should be working. Right. Um, yeah, not to say that people are dumb, but because they're just not yeah. that useful. Um, they, so, I mean, that's being kinda, Jimmy, that's where I met. That's where I met your wife. So, you know, I know you uh -huh. just you're 18. You think that's that, funny? But... You know, on, you're never going to get married, let's, DJ, let's like, because you are, we're, you're in a fail in your farming engagement. You Let's are not Quimmer funny enough. You're not interesting enough. You don't know enough to do correct farming. Quimmer, and you are going to fail. Uh, Quimmer, uh, like, all right. So, what what is your take on this? Uh, this, uh, like, uh, before we go to Quimmer, I'm just curious to ask Anton one quick question because no, no, I, I not from you. Quimmer, no, no, Quimmer, real quick question. Real quick question. No, 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 Anton, no, 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 no more DJ bullshit. No one asked you. No one asked you. No one asked you, DJ. Let other people talk. There are two people in this room who have not spoken yet. Quimmer and Z, and they would like to say something, and no one fucking cares about your DJ bullshit. Again, what is your algorithm? You DM me. You DM me right now. You failure, you worthless soul, and I'm tired of you farming engagement and trying to spam your bullshit. Okay, Kumar, go ahead. Yeah, um, what's up, Sophie? Um, Yo, Kumar, hold on a second. Can we get an answer from Anton, please? Well, no, 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 no. Kumar, sir, don't um, feel bullied by this 18-year-old. Don't feel bullied. Kumar, the floor is yours. I'd love to hear about your project, I can't KDA, hear whatever you want to talk about. By the way. Your mic is terrible, Antoine. I can't hear a word you're saying. Yeah, Quimar, go ahead. Quimar, floor is yours. Quimar, go ahead. Okay. Um. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Um. Terrace Bar Schultz, Antoine Z, Sefiu. Good morning from here. I'm an Nigerian. Um. So I actually joined the space. Um. Because of DJ Satoshi, and um. That was why I joined the space. But then coming to the space, I heard a lot of things, and I wanted to learn. Because um, I think someone asked the question, what was the first um, blockchain or something like that? So I wanted to learn as well. I joined the space and then I'd give my own fair share. I am not someone who is um, technologically smart. Let me use that word, yeah? But then I'm practically smart. God's giving grace. In the sense whereby, okay, I've done my own research on what money is. Do you get it? Um, I understand the part where um, Bitcoin as a whole, definitely the technology aspect of it might be slow. Yeah, we understand that part. But then it doesn't change the idea, the store of value. It holds. You get it. Um, it's not a store of value. It's a fucking illusion. It's a yeah. It's exactly. So, so Anton, can you just answer the question? It's a yes or no. I, no. Do you own any Bitcoin? No, I did. 
because I was a fucking rookie as you do, but I learned from my mistakes and I study constantly to have a fucking opinion. Because you can't go in life like starving for likes and people to follow you if you don't have anything to give, man. So fucking grow up and stop wasting or so Anton, you know so what what happened God. with you you, you lost money in bitcoin because you you no, bought high and I, sold low is that what happened well no, what kind of bullying is the cfi you can't let this happen that's trading idiot you don't even know antoine your mic is uh your speakers are on too loud so it's echoing really badly turn the background speakers down I think everyone needs to learn how speakers and microphones work before we worried about cryptocurrency and whatever. Um, like, it's like the feedback is like terrible. So make sure you turn your speakers down in the background if you have them on. Sorry. So anyway. Um, all right. So here's the thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Quimmer, uh, go ahead. Uh, no, no, Safi, right. you Do you have any interesting like, uh, crypto like I said, comments? I'm, I'm yet to learn. No, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to learn before I drop my comments. I'd like to listen to everyone talk. You get it. That's how I learn. So please talk please yeah well well first off like doing an entire uh, bitcoin lecture which by the way i could probably do for probably about 12 hours straight so if you want to do awesome, that man i would love that c5 yeah but, but real quick, just to answer, we've already done this just to answer ago, jimmy's question it seems like the first I'm gonna answer jimmy's question. i know that you're high right now i know that you're a meth addict i know that you're 18 Okay, oh, DJ, I know these things about DJ, you, and I know that you're trying to farm engagement. So really, if you want to farm engagement, what you do is you turn yourself into D a transgender DJ, and you start selling gay Jimmy, porn. Jimmy, do this. Terraspaces.org, which is a nice little uh, site. You can see the Terraspaces.org um, account in the space here, has recorded like my uh, educational whatever on Bitcoin. All right. So it, it's not necessary to have that be the discussion point for every single thing on fucking Twitter unless we're retarded. So we've already, we already, already, the people here already understand it well enough. At least anybody. Well, except that, for Anton, you're addressing. He doesn't own any. So clearly, yeah, he's trying to pick fights, trying to pick fights in order to Antoine's create engagement a, and drama. He's a guest on my space. Who cares what he knows or doesn't know? What's, what's the point? Like, I could quiz you guys on medicine. You guys would be a bunch of fucking morons. Like, what, like who cares? Like, you don't like, care about your guest point? not understanding that he might want to learn about sovereign money. So, so th there's, but he doesn't want to learn about critical care medicine either right now. Who gives a shit? Okay. I, right? I mean, like, like, what is the point? Like, if you go into a space about something else, what is the point? If we like, I even changed the title okay. to "Bitcoin is amazing," so everyone's happy, right? So that's I'm not happy. Change the space to DJ Satoshi is a big, fat, useless. This naked. assumption that, by the way, in 2022, that like if crypto nerds hanging out in a bear market on a Twitter spaces with nothing else better to do, don't have at least some semblance of what Bitcoin is, is kind of absurd to some extent, right? Like, yeah, well, Anton, look at Anton, perfect example. But who cares? I you refuse don't know to let someone attack one of my friends, a cosmo soldier. Like That'd be like asking you if you understood the code base for the uh, Cosmos SDK. Like, who gives a shit? Like, what, like, what would be the point of grilling you on this? The like, point is different. You're conflating two completely separate things, right? Like, the code base for Cosmos is a shit do you know the Do you know the code base for Bitcoin? Bitcoin is going to no. allow You don't know that either. Free. Who gives a shit? Even, if I, even if I didn't know it, right, what difference would it make? 
it doesn't matter. The point is, is that people need to learn about Bitcoin. They need to first spend okay, hours learning about, about Bitcoin you don't before know. they start trading and start like thinking about how they're gonna get rich <laughs> off of some shit coins. Man, it's the flushing. The the bill is gonna be expensive. The flush, I'm telling you right now, is more interesting than DJ's face and voice. But let me say something to Queemar. Okay, Queemar, I love anyway. what you're saying. Queemar, I support the Yoruba people. Queemar, I love Nigeria. Thank you. And, okay, here's the thing. Anyone that comes here that can, in 30 seconds, tell me something I don't know about Bitcoin can stay. Everyone else can get the fuck off. How's that? We'll see how that goes. It's, in, it's embarrassing like how people come on with these little stupid nonsensical Bitcoin arguments. It's 2022 right now. How long has Bitcoin come out? Anybody that wants to know about it. Hey, C-Pi, uh, don't you like sound money? Hey, C-Pi, don't you like a blockchain that doesn't allow for centralization? Hey, C-Pi, did you know that ASICs machine mining farms are there and all made by China and you have to buy them $3,000 a pop? Uh, did you know this? Huh? Hmm? I'm high on marijuana and I got failing grades in high school and I don't have enough money to go to college. So I need to become an influencer. <laughs> anyway, so, so yeah, Hutch, go ahead. Sorry. And Hutch's excuse, he, he's normal, so he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> I'm not going to kick him. Go ahead, Hutch. Now, can I just quickly say, Quimar, I apologize on behalf of all the white people. We give white people a bad name with the DJ social. <laughs> we are supposed to show good people like you from Nigeria the best of the West. But we don't do that, do we? No, no, no. Okay. I, I don't have anything against uh, the white. I know you're trying to trick me. <laughs> Jimmy, you're trying to trick me. No, I love it. <laughs> Same way. <laughs> we, we, we all want blockchain voters together. Like, um, that, that's one thing I say. I kind of say, like, if not because of blockchain, I won't be here right now on this space talking to you without a VPN. You get it? So I, I am the kind of person that understands. Not, I won't say I understand. I have a perception of what the blockchain technology is. You get it? A perception. It might not be the truth. It's my own perception. It's my own truth. You get it? So when some people come and then they start to fight or they start to talk about a particular blockchain, I let them do it. Why? Because um, everyone has their own belief system. It's the hype that makes you buy into a thing. Now, when we were talking about BTC the other time, that was saying it's a store of value. Now, someone asked me a question. It's not, it's not, someone said it's not a store of value. I was like, fine, yeah, it's not a store of value. That's your perception. You get it. It's not composed. I have to tell you it's it's real. If you carry good right now to some parts of, of the world, they will not see it as money. They may just see it as a shiny metal. But to you that knows that this is gold, you know it's gold. Do you get? So I just want to like just drop that in. I understand. Trust me, I'm not one person that um drives to one side and say block uh, Bitcoin is the best crypto in the world. No, 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 no. I'm someone that believes in the idea of blockchain. And then I also believe in the idea of BTC. You get so I just want to like shift that in. Jimmy, you here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Do you say the same so. the 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 other guy, but with other words, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, we. I think the folks here understand the the store value proposition already. The. Yeah, there, there's. I think the thing is like, uh, I think if there's something really really new to bring to the table, um, by all yeah, so on the subject of Bitcoin, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that price is going down and having events are going to come. And there's these future security risks with Bitcoin uh, if price doesn't go back up. Uh, 
and and obviously you know proof of work is scalable but i you know you, you see kind of talk on twitter and a lot of it comes from eth maxis i asked a friend of mine who's who's kind of more of a bitcoin maxi and, and i know you've been in it for a long time so i just wanted to hear your take on that because i i think that is like you know that's that's kind of a it's not really a, a new thing per se but it's it's getting closer to being a reality and if you think that is a long-term risk for bitcoin Oh, as far as the securing the network and how the miners get paid? Yeah, just is it is it going to be, you know, if it continues to have pricing pressure down and there's having events, you know, it is is it going is that going to create a security risk for Bitcoin? Um, possibly, but I think if you look at the rate, like if you look at nature and you look at some of the articles as far as like progress in uh, things like uh, quantum compute in general, I think there are a couple of possibilities, certain risk vectors, not necessarily just the risk vector to cryptographic systems from quantum systems. Um, but there's more to it than that. There, if you look at where energy is going to go, what computational systems are going to use the most energy, uh, AI systems, machine learning systems that we've been talking about, um, quantum systems that are going to create entirely new paradigms of just you know computational uh, like methodologies. When you add all these together, the longer term question is: if you're going to pour a lot of energy into a computational system, which basically Bitcoin is, you you can use it for hard money purposes, obviously, but the idea that like there won't be any other forms of hard money is probably illogical at its face. So then if you can have innumerable forms of hard money in the form of ML computational systems and other things, the power of thought itself becomes worth something, right? If you look at uh, the value AI brings um, to so many different, um, to so many different sort of life systems that, you know, like Jimmy was talking about how anywhere you can make money doing these things, if you can pour electricity into something and it makes you uh, more than just a hard money solution. If you get hard money and the power of thought simultaneously, you know, people just simply move to that. That's the thing. So I think the idea that like there can be no competitive system ever that is either as decentralized or as useful as Bitcoin is just simply silly nonsense, right? There's no evidence of this in the history of the world that that, that paradigm cannot be broken at some point technologically so that is but that doesn't mean necessarily that all of the crypto systems are safe in this regard um every single one of the systems we use now might become obsolete including ethereum so i don't know i i, I think it's good a good idea to be open-minded to new possibilities only because even if you were like a really hardcore bitcoin individual that's fine but you know you should be able to understand all of those other arguments and why they would be negated by the existence of Bitcoin, right? Like you'd have to know all of those nuances. And I think the reality is most people that are Bitcoin maximalists are not necessarily all tech savvy to the extent that, um, you know, maybe they read the Bitcoin, um, you know, standard or a few other books. And it's like, okay, I, I sort of understand this, but I have a hard time elucidating any competition for it or where other computational systems might be. Um, like where hum the human race might decide to pour money into other systems or electricity, right? 
And uh, if you look at kind of the, the, and, you know, you could argue that, well, you know, it, it's going to have the value that it has based on whatever demand it has. And if it survives, it survives, fine. But here's the thing, like, if you buy Bitcoin at $20,000, and let's say for whatever reason, one day it's worth $1,000, are you fine with that? Um, I think that was the Antoine's worry about the store of value argument. <laughs> like, like, well, it depends on your time preference and everything else. Not everyone's time preference is going to allow for that kind of you know, drawdown, right? So, yeah. so uh, the, the, the... Also, the, but if it's 1,000, like a lot of the whatever decentralized miners leave and the people who want to may have an agenda to corrupt the system, you know, the mining, I guess, becomes more cent centralized. Yeah, you've got and, a lot of, uh, uh, background echo, by the way, Hutch. But yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, you're right. so yeah, could the financial security of the network be compromised at some point by whatever, for whatever reasons? It's, a, it's always possible. Um, you know, there, so far it hasn't happened. So it, it hasn't been. Let me, let me come in here and say, I, I have this one rule about life. If you're still paying rent to your mom, you're cool. If you're not paying rent to your mom, you're living in her place. Don't come to me and talk about sovereign wealth, money, independence, financial independence, or how to use my mic. Thank you. <laughs> how is my, my mic right now? Is, is it better or shitty? Yeah, you're a little bit better. You're, it's kind of quiet. But I do want to say something about, you know, Quimar. You know, Quimar, I know that, you know, you live in a country of massive amounts of inflation and a very poorly run country with great natural resources. Nigeria, in terms of natural resources, has the highest human capital, in my opinion. One of the most educated workforces in the world and one of the youngest. Average age, I believe, is 27, if I'm mistaken, with 200 million people expect to become 500 million by 2050. More, furthermore, it has oil. That's important. It has metals. It has everything that you need to make a superpower. But the problem, of course, is the people who run it, right? And so when we talk about this stuff, let's just not forget, there are people who currently are interested because of how bad things have come into their lives they have no no relation to how hard the people work you know they're basically victims of the circumstances that they were born into and so if they want to involve themselves in crypto or bitcoin because it can help improve a lot of many other people good for them you know i saw recently in argentina that they have a debit card you know for bitcoin and you can also put stable coins in there and is now used more than any other debit card than any Argentinian bank. And the fact is, it's all just self-inflicted woes, self-inflicted woes by horribly corrupt, ineffective, incompetent political leaders. And every single time you open the news, you realize is how horrible they are. And the world in which we have to depend on them less is a better world. But unfortunately, the world is regressing. We're required to depend on them more. So, Quimar, I understand, and I respect you coming here, because if anyone has anything to say about this stuff, I would like to hear from you, because you are someone who needs this technology to work more than anyone in this room. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I agree with that. I have a comment um, about the... Okay, um, no, okay no, is talking about it. Is, is better, or, or is it shitty? No, we're just getting a lot of just feedback. I hate my headphones, man. I need one. Okay. When when you guys said I was echoing, I noticed his mic was on. So he he's he's the reason everything's echoing. 
yeah, I had to remove you from there, Antoine. Like, you're, you're, there's no way anyone else can hear with that going on. Sorry. Like, uh, I don't know why his headphones would do that. It's weird. Um, but yeah, so Quimmer, uh, so what other set of uh, crypto projects do you find interesting? Uh, what do you think is useful out there? Okay. Um, uh, I'd say Ichpa, that's Adeva. Um, I'd say Kadena, um, that's um, KDA. Those are my two um, blockchains that I kind of like still feel a bit safe with. You get compared to every other um, blockchain or every other crypto, you get it. So yes, I'm a trader or should I say I'm an investor. So I'm looking for where the liquidity flows. You get it. I can move in for profit. But I wanted to say something to what Jimmy said. I don't want... Should be told, let's be honest here, right? I don't want blockchain to stand. Why don't I want blockchain to stand? Because it's <laughs> the idea behind blockchain is we're going to be decentralized, but that's not the real idea behind blockchain. If you look at China very well, China already started a social credit system way back. That is blockchain to me. Why am I saying it is blockchain? Because once you can be tagged, once you can be engaged, once you, your money, the money you're spending, once they can see it, they can alter it, then you're no longer free. I don't know if anyone is familiar with this. Um, I think it's World Economic Forum. This that's so, what you, so you enjoy the the censorship resistance piece of this puzzle. Yeah, I, I do. Right? It's, it, okay. Yeah, I do. Um, Jimmy said something. I'm happy to be a Nigerian, not because of the government, but also because of the government. You see, their inability to structure us very well gives um a person like me the power to create my own business and then make money from it, and then obviously run away from taxes. You get it? Um, it gives me the chance to do this. Since I spoke with one of my friends, is from I think uh, New York or something. He was talking about um the credit system over there, and then he said something about the credit system. Now, from Nigeria, when I hear it, I'm like, you guys are lucky. Like, you guys can easily go to the bank and then borrow money and then use your car as um I don't know as a collateral. You guys can take five. Doors. I was like, you guys are very, very lucky. Then he explained something to me. He was like, it seems that way to the media because that's the way they wanted to seem to the media. But yeah, every hour is worth our time. Sometimes some of us don't even have time with our family. It's when he said that little point, hmm, I picked it. I wanted to understand what a white man over there, a normal common white man over there, what he or she faces. Is it worse than what we face here in Nigeria? <laughs> it is way worse. It's not all about money. I don't know if you understand me. It's not all about money. So, Jimmy, um, I just want to like, say something. I, sure, I, I can answer that very quickly. Um, I would say this. Um, I've always noticed the trend that the Bitcoin maxis who are the most vocal in social media are often the white 18-year-olds who've never really held a job before and really give very little wisdom. And the older Bitcoin maxis were people who were much older, you know, CPI's age, who had life experience. And so by talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin was a tool convey life experience, saving money, don't use credit cards, try and be financially independent, try and build your own business, be independent of banks if you can. You know, this reminds me of a very good biography I read of, um, of uh, the guy who created Safra Bank, which is a very famous Brazilian bank, which at one point was one of the largest banks in the world. And the family is still very powerful. And he always told um, his family three things. Uh, Always buy the house on the corner. It'll be worth more. Always go back to the home country to marry. And when you can, always make sure that when you're having a serious discussion about money, don't involve your family. Right. So um, the ability to convey wisdom is very hard from a white person. White people today um, are disconnected from society. As you know, Quimar, Quimar, I'm sure you can cook. I'm sure that you know how to garden. You know how things grow. You know how hard it is for things to grow 
real things, people, things that actually use or eat. And people, of course, who are white people in the West are engaged in living in illusion where they buy everything that's made from someone else. They live a life where all the content they think they have this illusion of free will that they believe they're choosing what to watch. They're actually engaged in being forced to watch things on systems of information they don't control, like TikTok, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. And they themselves believe that they are the smartest people in the world and the center of the world. And what you'll realize very quickly is when this person is transported to China or Nigeria, that what they think is true is completely different than what the white person thinks is true. The only difference is this. The white person has a temerity to come into rooms and tell people how to think, that they should think like them. And they don't think that actually that's weird. Um, I've never heard of a Nigerian, by the way, see if I've ever heard of a Nigerian Bitcoin man actually coming into rooms talking about how everyone should listen to him. No, that never happens. No, never Because Nigerians happens. are open-minded, <laughs> kind, and wonderful people. They are the, in many ways, connected to what I call nature. My criticism of America mostly relates to how our society has grown up in such a way that we no longer associate the success with the success of nature, right? Uh, we don't defend nature itself. We don't defend the environment. We don't care about being able to have children who grow up and know how to just grow vegetables, cook, how to pay their taxes, live a natural life. And in Nigeria, everyone knows how to do that. And so for me, they are a wiser country. And I think that we must get our wisdom from you, Quimar. Oh, um, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Wow, we put you on the spot, Quimar. Thank You're going to have to provide us some serious pearls of wisdom now, huh? <laughs> no, you have to. I already know who you are. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is the first time I'm hearing um, a white guy. I'm sorry. I don't know your race. I'm sorry for using the word white. But I'm whiter than a white wall. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate it. This is the first time a white guy is going to say this to me and um, or he's going to say this to a Nigerian around me. I honor you and I respect you, Jamie. Thank you very much. And Sefi, like I said, I am here to learn. Please do feel free to talk. You guys just, I just want to learn. So if I have anything to add, I would add. But thank you again, Jamie. God bless you. Hey, CJ, what's going on, man? <laughs> what you what you been up to? Well, you guys were having a real serious conversation, but um, it was just shitting me off that jimmy kept calling you c-fi and i'm really glad that our nigerian friend um pronounced it correctly so that was it man <laughs> that's funny <laughs> don't worry about it um yeah anyway so yeah th there's uh, I, I think there's obviously interesting things about bitcoin it's uh a, a good way that to describe it would be very similar to equals mc squared like once all the pieces came together like it seems obvious in retrospect um, there are, you know, features of like the theory of relativity that permeate like our existence. They, they, they're in nuclear submarines. They are in, uh, they, they power, um, you know, power plants. They create a world where nuclear weapons are possible, in which case, like we have an entire regime, an entire like governmental regime all over the world that has to accommodate for them. And it's like a Pandora's box thing. So once you invent it, you can't uninvent it. Similar is true of, you know, blockchain, ledger, uh, decentralized technology. And um, the one of the biggest lessons of Bitcoin has been actually how hard it actually is to credibly decentralize something within the human race. It's actually really quite difficult. Um, so th that's been one of the very, very difficult like things to accomplish is like, 
you know, achieving a, uh, a Nakamoto coefficient of substantial um, size when it comes to new chains or new projects. Um, and I think anybody who's been in the blockchain development space um, has discovered that, wait a minute, like to a large extent, how Bitcoin emerged was a lot of it was luck, actually, in many ways, because it became uh, sort of reasonably decentralized early. But it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion that, that would happen. Most of the other examples in big tech became very, very centralized um, historically, even things like open source things like Linux that run some substantial portion of the Internet today. Um, there's substantial centralization in Ross like, and the Rust and the Mozilla Foundation too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, like a lot of the different elements of the internet um, became sort of some became more decentralized over time. Some be, some became less. Um, and like I've I've found a lot of interesting parallels in particular. And I think Ethan Buckman, one of the like designers of the Cosmos, sort of noticed this as well. Is that nature itself has a lot of lessons to be, to teach about decentralization and centralization. You'll notice that actually. There are fantastic reasons to centralize certain things and decentralize certain things. Um, if you look at uh, like a simple example would be like a, a beehive. Um, a beehive at, its, at a local level is very centralized. You have a queen bee or whatever, and if queen bee dies, the hive might perish and all that kind of thing. So there's, a, there's kind of a, a reason why it's centralized. It provides an organizational structure for the beehive. However, if you look at the entire population of bees on the planet, um, that's decentralized. While locally, you might notice a centralization. If you look at all the beehives all over the world, technically, it's there's an element of decentralization there. So, like life has a lot of lessons about this, and evolution over billions of years has essentially sorted out um, situations where decentralization is really, really helpful. Say, for example, the persistence of microbes and everything. So even though we have human beings on this planet, we still have the highly decentralized system, which is microbes, um, fungi, um, and other or single-celled organisms that compromise, uh, com comprise a major portion of the biomass of the planet, including substantial portions of what you think is the crust. Um, it's amazing how much of the mass of the crust is actually alive of the Earth. Um, and the human race sort of exists on this sort of like weird decentralized living system and we wouldn't be able to survive without it in fact another interesting piece of like factoid is kind of like if you uh, the estimates of how many cells are in the human body something like a trillion and the estimate of how many bacterial um, uh, entities are on your body viral and bacterial is something like 10 trillion so actually you're only marginally human if you just just go numerically and when you disrupt those decentralized systems uh, you can wreck the human body. And if you wreck a centralized system, like the human brain, like if I shot you in the head, it would wreck the human body, right? Like, so there's lots of ways to die. Um, and what Bitcoin maxis tend to forget is while, yes, you have uses for sound, hard money and decentralization, there are also roles for extreme centralization in particular applications. And I think what the ethos of the cosmos is, as a general concept is, you can create as many blockchains as you want. And what will happen is when you have millions and millions of blockchains, you know, you and me each have our own chain for whatever the hell we want to use it for. Then what you have is decentralization 
through mass centralization or something like you you like individually each chain like i don't know kujira or a atom chain or a whatever the hell comes up next luna classic luna whatever um each of those could be very centralized but having millions of those makes them almost impossible to shut down because they're everywhere they're they permeate the universe in a sense so that's kind of the idea with the cosmos is i think ultimately decentralization through just um, just massive expansion of chains. And if, you know, if you don't like the ethos or the value set of some particular chain, you can spin up a new one nowadays. Like what, how long does it take? How long did Kajira take to spin up their chain? Like under a month or something? It didn't take that long. So you can be a company, whether it's an Uber or a Microsoft or whoever, and you can spin up a Cosmos chain next week if you want. Um, in fact, you can spin up dozens of them if you feel like it nothing's preventing you. So that sovereignty um, and that independence is preserved uh, with, with innumerable chains, similar to how Bitcoin does it with a singular network. Um, so yeah, there's lots of interesting things happening, but I think the way I look at it is, okay, if you have infinite forms of digital value transfer, you just simply call it that instead of money or ledgers or whatever. So if you have lots of ways to store and transfer value, then you'll have some systems that will be used between, say, for example, medical applications, maybe others that, you know, uh, happen with Internet of Things type devices, whether it's like um, IOTA or whatever the hell. Uh, you'll have others that are benefiting privacy applications, others that serve to maybe replace decentralized exchanges. I mean, ex centralized exchanges, uh, for example. So. There's tons and tons of ways to create, like, um, uh, sort of liberate people. And uh, there's nothing preventing so, sort of like a Nigerian village, for example, from like on Cosmos from producing their own blockchain within a month. Right. So, like, if you guys, your friends in your village all want to trade whatever it is you have, you can spin up a new chain whenever you feel like it. So this this idea that somehow blockchains are going to be something that you speculate on and make a lot of money on may not be the case for much longer because the open source systems that are out there are really easy to replicate and really easy to use. And the transaction fees are super, super low to where small towns can spill up, spin up a chain or even like a fuck a homeowners association can just spin up a chain if they feel like that's needed. And if the technology is needed and they need that particular feature set, they'll use it. If they're, they don't need it, they can just simply use a, uh, an application on a cloud system that's centralized and they don't need all sorts of fancy decentralization features, then fine, right? So you would use the blockchain for the utility that it provides the same way you would choose a computer system for the utility it provides. Like, you know, I think some of you play video games, you have a computer that's decked out with video cards and whatever nonsense, you play your video games, great. You have other people like Jimmy over here, he's exploring different you know, AI ideas, the chipsets and things needed to create you know, hardware for machine learning is very different from that which you use for your desktop publishing or whatever. So that's going to require a different computational system. So the idea in technology here is that I think basically the hardware, the software, and everything else in between, you can have infinite forms of information transfer between Are you them. working out while you're talking? No, not really. Why? Why am I out of breath? Yeah, you sound like you are. <laughs> Anyone else get that feeling here? Or are you just talking too much? I need to stop walking, I guess. Burning calories while I'm Where are you walking to? Oh, this is just inside my house. 
Hey, hey uh, Quimar brought up KDA and, and Sefi, I know you were close with those guys. Any update from them? I haven't heard anything in ages. Uh, yeah, it was interesting uh, with the proof of proof of work stuff. I like that. But yeah, Cadena. Um, so that's like like Stuart uh, Haber and and all these people. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, Stuart Popejoy and and and, and the gang. So what uh, the interesting thing Cadena put out in the last month that I'm aware of. Uh, is they completed their Marmalade NFT framework. And the basic idea behind that framework is, so if you saw what happened on Magic Eden on Solana, um, which is where the marketplace decided they wanted to modify the terms of the marketplace. Uh, they wanted to change the royalty structure. Uh, then you had this revolt because a bunch of people that had their, their NFTs there we're not able to get paid the royalties that they've factored into their business model. So the problem with making those kinds of changes is you're fucking over uh, projects that created a system that now you have changed the rules of the game. You've changed the nature of their business. Um, it'd be very similar to like if Apple increased the cost of apps to 50% instead of 30% of the take, right? So they changed the rules on the fly. So what Cadena's Marmalade system basically does is it creates a system where Things like royalties, things like uh, prior sales and uh, sales prices uh, and over-the-counter sales of NFTs, those things all get recorded to the blockchain uh, specific to that NFT and not specific to any particular marketplace. So actually, the parameters of the NFT can be better set up. A metadata can be organized um, in such a way that favors the actual NFT owner this whether this is art based nfts whether it's like nft securities it doesn't matter what they are the the it creates a much more independent um uh like if you want to call nft an object it creates a more independent object that uh is more sovereign than what it is on most other blockchains that makes sense hutch so that yeah it snapshots and grandfathers in individually but um i should say yeah. this you know what's important is that we don't get mixed up in life with this chain is good or that chain is good. I watched a video of Definity, the creators of ICP, Internet Computer Protocol, in Steve Jobs-esque sweaters, black sweaters, in the most recent video. It's very cringy, very cringy. And all he does is dump on other chains. Now, honestly, I don't particularly care. But I, I just find it funny that these people think they can get away with the same kind of marketing that they did a year ago. For me, I'm always interested to see what's in it for someone else. And I know when I go teach at schools, because I teach wisdom, I, I'm a life teacher. I ask, what is it that you want to be when you grow up, little DJ Satoshi? And the answer is, I want to be an influencer. And I explain that if you want to be an influencer, you got to talk about things with high eCPMs, impressions you can monetize, clicks, views. I need to how to be a Mr. Beast. Jimmy, I need to figure out how to make more money doing this, apparently. Well, Mr. Beast makes a lot of fucking money. I don't know if you've ever known that, but Mr. Beast makes $150 million a year, apparently. And he is 23. He started doing it when he was 16. And now people realize that you can make the top 10% of influencers can make more money than they ever would having a normal job. It's not an easy job, by the way, being an influencer. But the truth is, if you're 
launching any new business, including a blockchain, you now need influencers to be part of your marketing strategy. You cannot launch something without those influencers because the cost of marketing is so incredibly high. The only advantage you would have is by having influencers, which overall reduce your ability to acquire users and acquire, uh, acquire impressions. What's, what's so, actually, you know, what's interesting about uh, this sort of like, um, I don't know, tech space or whatever, if you notice like, uh, for example, let's say Jimmy has experience in uh, coding, in management of different projects, or he has uh, invested in things, or he has real world experience, or Hutch for that matter, what will happen is you'll notice that they have specific needs that they're trying to achieve in finance. Like they have specific needs that they think uh, they would use, like certain utilities they would personally use. Like I thought Jimmy's suggestion earlier of the interior design or like song making AI projects were super interesting because I do some of those things personally, right? So the more things that you have interest in in life, and maybe the more wisdom you have, the more likely you are to notice if some sort of new technology has something useful there or not. Uh, you know, like, and you could be wrong, like that technology could fail, that's fine. But the, the, like the ability to elucidate what you actually want versus what you're maybe told to want because you saw it on YouTube or whatever, that uh, requires a significant level of like technical maturity. So for example, if I'm a doctor, you know, I have an idea in the critical care medicine space, like what's missing, like what could be more efficient. And when I see a product building a certain thing that is going to help specific workflows that I have now, I'll say, aha, I can see where I would use that. I might buy this product or invest in it or whatever, right? Um, and if you don't have any knowledge of critical care medicine, for example, you, will, you may not have the slightest clue what a useful new actual tech or product is that helps that space. And I think in the crypto space, that's one of the issues that I see happening is like you have oftentimes developers who are making something, and I think some of them are very, very good, um, and they understand kind of like what financial product they're producing. But I see a lot of other developers who are like, wait, I don't know what I'm going to build. Maybe I can find someone who has a vision. I can go build something for them. But um, a lot of people in the sort of coding uh, and programming space, I find, don't really know what people want because they just haven't been around other businesses or, um, I don't know, like science endeavors well, or whatever. Product market fit is always the issue of tech. Um, you know, I work for VC as an advisor. And I go through a thousand presentations a month, no joke. And, you know, when you go through these presentations, obviously the first thing you need to notice are KPIs of how to prove it has product market fit. But a lot of developers think that because their tech is so good, someone's going to acquire it, doesn't need any product market fit. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're right, but mostly they're wrong. And that Cadena, um, that Cadena project had some great marketing with the solving the trilemma. And so I was really helpful, but then they were just dark for a while. And I was just wondering if it was really just that, just good marketing and they, they were rugging. Most of the yeah. crypto space is dark right now. Like most of the projects well, they, in different they were They were dark before all the crash, right? Like they put out that great marketing. Nicholas Flamel pumped them. They had awesome, you know, it was like, oh, wow, this is it. They don't it's have any money. money. That's one. Well, I, so Seth, they don't you, have money still, you still think that they're for real? Because there was a while there where I just thought, you know, they – 
they come on yeah. and do a space every now and then, but and they have a good white they've paper and a good graph. They've done some interesting things, but what I have not seen Cadena do, to be fair, and I've asked this question numerous times to their developers, and like never, you never get a quite the right answer. But they haven't figured out how to leverage the graph technology to make a better product than anybody else. So while you could say, well, I can scale lots and lots of you know, parallel chains, they haven't figured out a way to make those parallel chains like process in unison or like all, in other words, like all you can do right now is if I have a DEX, for example, I can have it run on like one chain or maybe two chains, but it's like two separate like addresses, one for each you know, chain and this and that. It's like, um, I don't know, it's a disjointed sort of system that doesn't like take advantage of graph technology the way you think it would. So if you watch the videos or whatever and you look at the chain web thing in action, you're like, wait, okay, look, all these transactions, finality happens with, you know, two or three chains and then fi find out like total finality on all these chains takes a certain amount of time, fine. Okay, we get that. But like, have they been able to achieve the speed necessary um, that was sort of promised, not yet. Have they been able to sort of leverage the graph technology really well? Not yet. So to, to an extent, there's an element of vaporware there, Hutch, and that's the caution with KDA. So it's not that smart people aren't working on that project. They're, you know, they're obviously quite, quite intelligent. Uh, but um, I, I don't know, like, and, and by the way, just because people aren't showing up on Twitter, whether it's like, I don't know, the Schillers or whether it's the team. Sure, sure. It's hard to tell whether that means anything for the tech because everybody's disappeared. Maybe they were a bit market. too ambi ambitious in their vision and they, you know, they don't know, like you said, they don't know how to tie it all together. Or they well, part of it too much is if it's, it's an attention economy on Twitter. It's an attention economy on YouTube. If you're producing content on YouTube about, let's say, I don't know, um, Bitcoin or crypto during a bear market time, the number of engagements you get is really small. So the way that that these uh, development teams think about it is, wait, if we sit here on Twitter Spaces talking to you guys for an hour or whatever every week, that's an hour time. we, could be, doing. we yeah. could be doing something else because only three people are showing up to the AMA, right? And that's true. Like if you go to any like uh, legitimate blockchain project AMA or any any tech AMA right now, like you'll find that people are depressed and there's like six people in the audience and no one gives a shit. That, that's what's Sefi, happening. Sefi, I only make uh, content during bull markets for chains that are just going to completely implode. That's all I yeah, do. Yeah, that's, that's another <laughs> habit, right? So that's the Yeah, but um, I, I think you guys are missing the wider point, which is that um, marketing is changing as well. One of the reasons why <clears throat> those chains were able to be successful and have a high market cap was it's relatively cheap to market crypto in 2020, 2021. And obviously, because of the saturation of the space and the limited number of content in terms of the overall limited amount of distribution channels, it's now much more expensive, like four or five times more expensive to market crypto because the ECPMs are much higher than before. Um, so they were able to leverage that, getting to huge audiences to be able to do this. The regulation related to the uh, SEC cracking down on influencers, which was coming more in the next few years, makes marketing even more expensive, right? You're not, no longer going to charge $10,000. You're going to charge $50,000 because you're going to be SEC compliant with your influencing. You're probably going to have to register as well. And, and, be less and you'll lose, and you'll also drop, endorse. You also drop uh, the number of views on YouTube or they'll, have, they'll put in all the, like when you put the disclaimers and everything in, right? It's different on YouTube. Um, yeah, so, sure. So it's not as viral in a sense, the way that that works when you're And that was, a, that was a large reason why Kadena 
was able to get out there was they were marketing. People don't want to say this, but a lot of these chains are paying for the views. They're paying to get their ads in or to pay influencers of all stripes through agencies. And agencies are charging them about 150 bucks an hour, charging them to what a lawyer charges. And their portfolio of influencers, micro-influencers and larger influencers, were charging them about a, micro-influencers were charging them $1,000 a video, uh, larger influencers were charging them $2,000 for a video, and larger influencers than that were charging them $5,000. So that's $2,000 for a 100,000-view uh, video. And if it's a larger influencer for 100,000 views, because the engagement is higher, meaning the conversion rate or clicking on the ads or clicking on the backlinks is much higher, then they're charging them five to ten thousand um, dollars, and yeah, they're I getting talk, those. I actually talked that. to the marketing team of Cadena specifically. They called me from like Chicago. They did kind of a little, uh, like like a Google chat or some shit, you know, right? Like, and, and they're like, "Yeah, would you be willing to sort of talk about uh, like the chain and this and that? We'll have some events." And it was kind of like their little whatever. And I and I didn't I don't take any money for it, which is probably the reason why like the founders and stuff would you know chat with me on Spaces and this and that. But but uh, yeah, it if you were to ask for money, I'm sure they would arrange something probably, you know, but I, I, I try not to do that because if you start getting into the, the, the money-making game of like advertising, number one, I just don't like, I'm just not interested. I make more money doing what I normally do at work. So it's neither here nor there for me. But um, at the same time, it's like, um, if you do that, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, like people are questioning your credibility and then not only that, but once well, I already question your credibility though. Yeah, it's probably true. But once you're getting paid, the difference is, is that, um, that like you have to sort of watch what you say, you, you know, I don't know, like it, it just becomes, it'll change the nature of how you speak about a project or whatever. Right. Like it almost will, uh, change the nature of your, your, your interactions with people about it and everything else. So, yeah, actually I, I remember when, uh, like uh, SJ from TFL was like, hey, do you want to work for TFL and maybe be some kind of spokesman or some shit? And I was like, uh, you do realize like I'm an actual like physician practicing. Like, I don't think you could, unless you're going to replace my salary that I make, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, no, I'm not going to be doing that. Fortunately, I didn't like quit my job, move to South Korea and uh, like, you know, create, but, you know, do you some know, kind of still position. I've interacted with a lot of these chains <laughs> who have asked me to advertise for them. And I just call them out for scanning. I call them out for scamming because most of these chains have too many marketing people. They're too busy marketing rather than building. And uh, when you really think hard about it, what they're actually building, they're building things that they can use for their marketing. And that's why some of these chains are so dysfunctional right now. So recently I was calling out one chain, which is practically bankrupt. And there are people on their chain or just the people who work for the core team are, are losers. They're losers who know that their jobs are going away pretty soon because they're running out of money and they laugh a lot. They talk a lot in their meetings. They don't really engage with the community who are all losing money. And this is the most maniacal sociopathic thing that goes on in blockchain. Like, what is do you have any particular examples that people would be aware of that? Tello, C-E-L-O. Tell us. It's Cello or Tello. So what happened in the background there? Well, they're bankrupt and the team members are, are, are know this and so they don't really engage with the community anymore they when you always promise that you're building something the chain link integration will come or you know the Mistin labs integration will come because Mistin labs is the company that built um move the language for uh aptos and sui by the way they're all contractors and vendors no one actually works for blockchain by the way um then you know that these teams have really nothing going on nothing unique 
a team that loves to engage with their community and build relationships, which, you know, TFL did to a little extent, um, is a good team. But TFL also did a lot of bad things. I spent, I, I know one guy who worked for TFL as a marketing guy. He got paid $20,000 per video and they're shitty videos because when you have a lot of money in your marketing budget and you're desperate for views, you're going to throw money left and right because you're desperate to scale up, scale up people who look at your stuff. And there's scammers. There's a lot of scammers in this room. So, for example, let me go through some scammers in this room. Damn, I, I missed out. I never got one now. cent from TFL. Not one cent from TFL. You, you should have. Yeah, yeah, I clearly should have taken that job and milked it for what it was. Uh, I should have well, quit you my job as a, a critical care physician, like, you know, and gone and worked for TFL well, right before it crashed. We're, that we're past that, no. That would have been we're very past funny. that. <laughs> so, I got to call out some scammers in this room. Chef Sam, Bagman Algo, Tasty Bull. I'm going to call out also Korma, who you've been scamming your NFT projects way too much and your Bitcoin at the same time. I'm quite tired of it, to be honest. Um, stop using and hijacking the name brand of successful projects to shill secretly your friends' projects, who they give a little bit of their piece of to you. I'm tired of you and... Someday hell will come down upon you, rain themselves upon you, and the angels of truth will sacrifice themselves for all the sins that you've done. Thank you. <laughs> Galactic, what's up? Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part one of a two-part Chepe space. Everything. Cosmos, Luna, Lunk, Juno, Stars, Kuji, everything. Recorded on Wednesday, October 26, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Terraspaces. Spaces.